One of Steve Martin's best stories, the world's most lovable cannibal is back, and Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston just go with it. This week on 30 2010. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 302010, the pop culture time machine where each week we take a look at the world of movies, TV, video games, music, and more through the lens of a single week, 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and Diana is spelled big D, little I, little A, (laughs) big N, little A, and then there's a star. I have memorized that speech. And it's me, Sarah, and another announcement. Sam is now on board with Supernatural. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, dear God. What is she you doing? You and your cult recruitment. Is- it's happening, y'all. Oh. Uh, this week, we'll be looking at the world of February 5th to the 11th in 1991, 2001, and 2011. And I assure you, you'll be able to figure out who you were with, what you were doing, how many divorces you've had. Just from <laughs> what was it? It's it's funny to see through a little bit of news and headlines. You can find out exactly what was happening in your life, even when you're a real little kid. And I should say, being a real little kid, one of my favorite movies of all time comes out this week, along with one of my favorite shows of all time. And I am blown away by how similar they are. And I cannot wait to talk about that. And it's by total accident. Um, but let's begin as we always do in 19... 19- oh, I got to thank some, some patrons out there. People like Teddy Rossi at patreon.com slash laser time and many others who make uh, who help fund this show with just five bucks every single week. We are almost exactly caught up to date with the video game version of this show where I talk to Video Game Apocalypse Boys um, and occasionally Chris Baker about the games that were released during this period. I'll give you a light uh, description, but it's better for weeks like this because I would say one of the top five video games of all time is released this week uh, in history. It's It's one of the biggest games ever and i have no problem saying that it, you will not dispute me it comes out this week a certain amount of years ago stay tuned to figure out what that is but we're going to begin as we always do in 1991 uh with february 5th through the 11th and talk about a tiny little bit of news to let you know what was going on or in my case what 10 year old me could not understand was going on and the adults couldn't stop talking about that's typically what goes down now unless yeah. unless a, unless the children's show host is like a changing out with someone else or dying on sesame street i'm not really sure what's happening in the world like say when the ira launches a mortar attack on 10 downing street nearly blowing up the entire war council yeah uh this is so interesting stuff because remember we we are in the gulf war now uh, Mm -hmm. but it's mostly aerial bombardments and stuff uh not really you know big tank battles or anything cool like that yet and Britain is involved. Britain's part of the the coalition that we're in. And newish Prime Minister John Major is having a meeting with his war council. And the IRA parks a minibus. I think it might be just a VW van uh, a little ways from 10 Downing Street, which is British White House, and sets a timer for an automated mortar attack. And wow. a couple, I think one, I think there are four. One misfires, two go to, a little too far, and one lands smack in the garden of 10 Downing Street and blows up. And if it had just been a tiny bit over, it's like, I don't know, I think they said like 30 yards or so off, it would have wiped out the government. Wow. It's, yeah. It's so, I remember like being a little kid and having to be reminded like, oh, the biggest war in the world that's happening right now doesn't involve Ireland. Because it mm. was just daily chaos and bodies coming from like this IRA nonsense. Yeah. Mm. The 
that whole thing with the troubles and everything is something that I find to be like a black hole of my knowledge of yeah. history. Did anyone learn about any of that in school? No, really. I think because it was it was too. I mean, it was weird, ongoing. Right? It, was, it was ongoing. Yeah. <laughs> But and it was, still, it was too recent a history by the time we got to it. I, I know that I have one movie that I like, The Long Good Friday, that like expressly mentions and begins with a situation involving it. But that is fucking it. Like I haven't seen like a ton of movies about this. But um, like even era. when I was in high school, like 10 years from, you know, 1991, mm-hmm. like I didn't learn at all about the troubles or any of that stuff. It's just such a weird blind spot, I yeah. think, for a lot of Americans. I think now would be an especially good time to look into it because yeah. a, a bunch of things I've read is like, oh, if America has another, another civil war, it's not going to look like the first one. It's going to look like, like the it. Troubles. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's uh, going to be street, street level sectarian bombings, shootings, lots you of factions, like, stuff mm-hmm. like that. You mean like what happened in Nashville? Like, yeah. Oh, did we have a, a bombing in Nashville? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, no. Uh, the Troubles, they're bad. They I, are bad. And we covered uh, in '98, I think it was the uh, the um, good good no, yes. good Friday Accords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where mm-hmm. they, they finally have something of a ceasefire and they have some power sharing and things are a little less blow uppy than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sweet. Jesus. It's a shame. Belfast is a pretty city. I liked it. Uh, that's a that's a confusing controversy. This seems delightful. More controversies yeah. like this that we talk about on a regular basis. That's how you know the world is doing pretty okay. Pete Rose is officially banned from consideration for the Baseball Hall of Fame. In terms of the trouble our modern-day celebrities get into, I would love a good gambling scandal, please. Right? Like, this is, like, definitely a, a dad scandal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> a lot of dads have opinions about this. Oh, did he, did, he, did he sell stock from the team and then tank their uh, tank their winnings? Oh, no, no, he just... No, no. We just put some, bets on, put some bets on the ponies. And then did he bet against himself yes. and then throw the game? <laughs> Maybe. No, there's probably a, not. No, probably no evidence not. of that. There's no, yeah, there's no evidence of that, but that's like what this is all about. Like, and I think every year I just like walk past a sports conversation. Should they let Pete Rose in? I'm like, why are we still talking about this? Yes. Is, if you're still talking is, about Pete Rose, let him in. Nobody that cares. Is a thing. That's like kind of a thing that I would miss from like being able to be in public life is like, I would love to just like sit and listen to a conversation on the pros and cons of a controversy <laughs> I literally do not, I could not care less about this controversy (laughs) at all, but it is like, it is like kind of fun and interesting and and it's like, you know, pop culture interesting. So Mm -hmm. please someone debate it for me because I would love to just like sit in a bar and hear two people, two baseball dorks, like talk about whether or not P. Rose should be in the baseball hall of fame. It's one yeah, of the more fun I, the, sports the last sports headline I saw because <laughs> I don't know shit about sports is like ah oh, this guy from the Seahawks choked almost choked his wife to death should he finish out his contract and mm. like we just yeah less of that less that's more, more like a sweaty dude who like yeah <laughs> just with, had a gambling problem you yeah. had a gambling problem which by the way hello all my uncles yeah. and like just um, with the world's worst but haircut. also was extremely talented yeah. by all accounts but this guy know. just got into the hall of fame but he also thinks that all armenians should be killed um oh. how do we That's feel no about good. that <laughs> but, but he is i mean a great shortstop an amazing shortstop and let's get into the movies because they're all uh Interesting kind of fun. Um, Operation Condor with Jackie Chan and Carol Chang. I mean, that yeah. comes out in America 
on a wide release in yeah in like another half a decade 97 Uh, also knows armor of god 2 operation condor where yeah i mean after it took us a while to find out in america oh jackie chan oh he's got a whole library we can just start rolling these out again so yeah we get to see it in 97 and uh yeah it's a lot of fun i mean it's kind of a spy movie but with a whole load of jackie chan in this yeah, not, you know, not for me. Kind of at his kind of in his prime. I want to say like Definitely. the late '80s, early '90s. I feel like yeah, that was sort of yeah. He, he was him and his team are making like like five movies a year, and they're all doing stellar. And to be released with nothing new but English five years later <laughs> and top the box office in a different country, it's it's a phenomenal success story. If you listen to the Thirty Twenty Ten Game Show, like my introduction to Jackie Chan was video games. Jackie huh. Chan, Jackie Chan's master uh, action kung fu fantastic game and i'm like well who's this guy and i started to pay attention when i was in video stores and i don't think i was old enough to start renting stuff like that even though all these movies are like a pretty hard pg like people tend to get just knocked out maybe one guy dies at the end but yeah never bloody falls off a building gets a shot once i mean how hurt can you get from a ladder (laughs) or or a paint bucket or a paint roller never mind jackie chan is the shit and that's that's so astonishing to talk about that like yeah this movie is out 30 years ago today you won't see it until six years later in the summer and it'll beat out jean-claude van damme movies (laughs) Uh, yeah and then in the same week uh once a thief with uh leslie chang chang and uh chow yun fat uh and cherry chung same same pronunciation yeah why not i know it's confusing yeah it's a john woo joint that's not the level of crazy action that you're expecting from John Woo at this point, he kind of ramps up to that, you know, where he has these sort of dramas, like once a thief or a better tomorrow, it's like, there's, there's some action in them, but it's like, they're more of a drama. And then it just starts getting crazier and crazier and crazier. How many dubs are in this one? Oh, at least five. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to need a dub count on every Woo film. It's hard to tell. They often appear in slow motion, which is a lot of screen time. I mean, yeah, we're not at the killer and hard boiled yet, but John Woo is establishing himself as like, Oh, he's one of the big directors out of Asia right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, but he isn't quite hasn't quite got that John Woo sizzle that we expect. Yeah, yet. but to be yeah. to be a, from MI two specifically this yeah. week to be like a young Tarantino esque film nerd seems very exciting. Like you mm. have a lot of fun things to choose from in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indeed, and I don't the one I know the least about is Run with Kelly Preston and Patrick Dempsey, and I'm sure is plenty good popcorn cheese. Seems like it. Uh, it's. YouTube keeps promoting this on me. Like it's figured out the algorithm of I keep looking for 1991 trailers mm-hmm. and it just refuses to let me go until I watch the run trailer. And I did. And it wasn't interesting enough for this show. So sorry. Uh, <laughs> Patrick Dempsey is, I mean, it's, it's a kind of movie that I do like in that it's kind of got that after hours vibe of like mistaken identity. Like he's supposed to transport this Porsche to Atlantic city for a guy. And then, you know, he gets mistaken for like this high roller and now the mob is after him and there's lots of get and chased around Atlantic city uh, with this mistaken identity stuff. And, you know, Patrick Dempsey does desperate pretty well, especially when he was younger. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I could see this being okay. All the reviews were sort of like, it's fine. Like, "Eh, okay. And I don't, maybe it was that I I, I, took, I majored in like literature and shit, but this is like, this took forever to be re-released and was talked about all over the place, especially in my Shakespeare classes. Uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, starring Gary Oldman yeah, and Tim Roth. Uh, yeah, and, and well, I mean, this is, um, this is interesting, because I, I mean, this is a debate that was happening before I was even born, these two characters in Hamlet who disappear. 
and everyone everyone wonders who were these people and what did they do? And most most plays I think omit the character were omitting the characters altogether until is this a play, Diana? First, yeah, yeah, it's a play by Tom Stoppard, and then he adapts it, uh, writing and directing it as an actual movie. And looking for trailers because I like this movie and it's fun. I found so many shows for like National Theater London doing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and broadcasting it, and it's like. I couldn't find, and I found scenes, but I couldn't find like the actual trailer for the actual yeah. film. Yeah, it was. I think it was, which a... is super annoying because this play, especially if you are a literature nerd and you've read Hamlet like three different times, Hello. this is freaking hilarious because it's these two minor characters and it's about what are they doing while they're not on on stage. And why it do turns you... out shenanigans. Yeah, an, an interesting thing for like a, a Shakespeare dork. I swear we will have like there were several jokes in, in Avengers Endgame about this phenomenon, and this is just a play about that with Shakespeare characters. Nobody hates this film. If you if you've heard of it and you seek it out and watch it, you will not hate it. I assure you. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are not dead. This movie is definitely a real fucking nerd alert. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> if this is anyone's favorite film. That person has also seen the inside of a locker. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> Hey now, I, I just, would. It's, I, I just I find would, it hilarious. It's a couple weeks after the Mel Gibson, you know, Hamlet for babies, right. mm-hmm. and it's like now no. we're getting like the super opposite end of the spectrum. It's like you, you got to know Hamlet decently well, but mm-hmm. it's also you know absurdist in the idea of like before the play starts, they're just sort of in limbo and they don't understand that. Like, where are we? Why is time stopped? I keep flipping this coin and it's only heads. It's because yeah. time hasn't started yet. It's, okay. So yeah, weird. I watched I watched some of this and I don't have the Shakespeare background. My um literary education was pretty uh there's a dearth of Shakespeare I've had to catch up in my adult life. Just, so I read How Do You Fried Worm six times instead of going into Shakespeare. Yeah, I read a lot of fucking Dickens and Twain barf. But um <laughs> I <laughs> but yeah, I watched some and I was like, okay, I get it. And I mean, yeah, this is a definitely a movie for nerds and which I usually appreciate and I love nerds and I'm down for it, but it's definitely like funny in the way that like jazz is funny. Like that Paul Tompkins <laughs> joke where it's like, oh, did you hear when he was doing the rift? It was like, brow, 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 instead of it was like, brow, 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 and it was like, oh my God, what a I, card. That's why I that's said, what this movie is, if you get, which if, is fine. And I love people who love yeah. that, but. If you, Maybe not if you get it from everyone. the title, if, if, the, if the title makes sense to you and you seek it out, you will not be disappointed. I'd never heard of it till I was studying Shakespeare in college. So it was like right when I was going over Hamlet with a fine tooth comb and writing essays yeah. about it, that it was it was perfect. It was totally fun. Like to of be able course. to. Yeah. It's the movie for Shakespeare people, the way that like that. Jo- I cannot remember which Marvel movie it is, but it's the one where you're looking at Nick Fury's fake gravestone and it has the like quote the fake Bible quote from Pulp Fiction on it. And everyone in the theater is like, (laughs) that's what this movie is. Man. Uh, Sorry. Is that harsh? I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's not. It's in the nerds today, man. (laughs) It's uh, I'm going to go write in my journal about you. I'm so sorry. I love you guys. You did. You did. You did bravely uh, pick on the nerds who are least likely to come back at you. Try it in the game <laughs> section, Sarah. I dare you. No, but <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get some strongly worded letters written in quill, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> and sealed with like a wax seal, and I welcome it. <laughs> <laughs> and if you know Shakespeare well, you'll have a better appreciation for this movie. But that's like that's by no means like 
the, not a recommendation. I love the movie L.A. Story, written and yeah. starring, written by and starring Steve Martin and Victoria Tennant and Mary Lou Henner and Richard E. Grant and Sarah Jessica Parker and great cameos from Woody Harrelson and Chevy Chase and Patrick Stewart. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Patrick like Stewart him. is so good. He cannot have the duck. Everyone's in this. <laughs> yeah, this is one of my favorite comedies of all time. L.A. Where people are friendly. Hi, my name is Bob. I'll be your robber. Hi, how are you? Thank you very much. Committed. I would just be using you to get even with her for going away with him. I don't mind. Let's go. Great. Woo! And down to earth. It was a great lunch in Enema. Thanks. Steve Martin. Ways holding her. It's almost filthy. L.A. Story. I love this movie. and Oh, it's so charming. I feel like there's nothing like it. I was starting to describe it to Sarah as like, a Woody Allen movie that doesn't love the smell of its own farts and a, a naked, <laughs> a naked gun movie, but with, with coupled with the absurdity of a naked gun movie. And I know Diana, that makes it very, what's like, take the money and run. Woody Allen did make mm. a kind of a romantic, a, a kind of a parody movie the same way. This is a parody of romantic comedies, but it's also a very sincere romantic comedy. Uh-huh. The half the soundtrack is Enya and French music. It, it seems it, like it should go to something pretentious. And then you just have like, Stuff like Beethoven's balls and just really weird kid humor. I love that he drove around with a Garfield suction cup thing on the back of his windshield. I've decided I'm going to do that until someone takes it and I'm going to monitor it. Uh, I, I saw L.A. Story at a real young age. I talk about people like Steve Martin and Robin Williams. It, it seems odd if I were to have a kid now that we would I would agree with my kid on who the funniest person is. But we did back then. My parents love Steve Martin. I love Steve Martin. So I'd see Steve Martin movies in the theaters. I remember seeing this closer to my birthday. And for a while, I just thought it was this kind of like, yeah, it's very L.A.-centric, uh, especially L.A. of the time. But the more I watch it, the more like, this is really clever. And mm. has a joke like every four seconds, even if it's hidden Arrested Development style in the background. Ooh, and, Arrested Development is a great reference. Yeah. yeah. It, it, oh, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. Kind of perfect, yeah. As as a kid, I would think so many jokes would go over your head because they're so specific to, you know, California in general or hipsters or L.A. in particular. And I mean, some of them have come true. The ordering coffee and everyone has a really complicated order. Oh, that was ahead of its time. I love a half cap decaf, but, a twist of lemon, twist of lemon, twist of lemon. <laughs> or just, you know, <laughs> it's like this bizarro version of L.A. where it's like, oh, what's today's date? Oh, no, it's open season on the freeway. They, and there's like etiquette involved in shooting at other drivers. Him him just throwing the, the gun out the window. Did I leave my pants at your house? And he's just firing at no one. <laughs> yeah, it really is like, but at that point, I do remember people making fun of LA. Like this is yeah. when I started the movie this weekend, because I had never seen it before. I got a little bit of like, uh, like, I do think that it starts out real, like on all eight cylinders with joke, joke, joke about LA. And I was like, Oh, am I watching just like a uh, version of a Randy Newman song? Yeah, that, I'm not <laughs> into that. Isn't so where much. we are forced to live for this business funny. And I, but the more yeah. I watch that, even that opening like, montage, like a guy in a bathing suit taking out his Christmas tree. Like there's just yeah. little <laughs> things that, that slide by real fast. It gets so much, it gets charming. Like, 
I don't know if it's on purpose or not. There's a slow burn of charm that happens where it starts mm-hmm. out super joke, joke, joke. And I was like, I'm, I don't love this. Like, this is fine, but it's not great. And then as the movie went on and Sam agreed, like Sam watched it with me and we were kind of in agreement the whole time. I was like, I'm liking this more and more and more and more and more. Like the, it gets less like, you know, naked gun, joke, 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 and just gets more and more just a character study and then like a relationship study sort of. And it gets more and more charming as it goes on. And I, mm. at the end of it, I ended up fucking loving it. And now I kind of want to go back and rewatch it, it with is, like the, the goggles of having already seen it and loving it. It you is know the only saying? 30, 2010 movie in history that I had, I watched twice in preparation, just at a pure, mm. pure joy, pure joy. Mm. I, but I, I, I love this movie. I've watched it for years. I know I recorded it again off a of Showtime pre-preview. They mentioned a character named Harry Zell. I have it on VHS somewhere. It's not on the DVD. John Litgow is Harry Zell, the master yeah, a agent. Couple, and it's, a couple people got cut out of this. I yeah, think. Scott Bakula, another yeah. starship captain. Uh, but John yeah. Litgow comes in on a fucking jetpack. It's one of the coolest. Like, I can't believe they took it out of the movie. It had to have been for time because it looked expensive. Um, but I recorded that on a Showtime pre-preview. Diana, what do you think of the movie? Uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting comparison to Woody Allen mm-hmm. in that I kind of I, I didn't watch this until like a couple of years ago because I kind of avoided it because I thought it would be super up its own ass mm-hmm. about like L.A. We have foibles, but isn't this the greatest place on earth? And I'm like, I, I got out of there as fast as I could. So no, no, no. But I love his his, it, his, his Shakespeare quotes because he usually paraphrases Shakespeare. I didn't get the joke that William Shakespeare is buried in the L.A. cemetery until like <laughs> five years ago. It's just such a funny thing to do to like and. He, he, like, and then just bring in Rick Moranis for a great digger scene. Oh, yeah. that yeah. was great. I love seeing yeah. him. Yeah, he, he just he, but he quotes Shakespeare like, life's just a bunch of hubbub to keep you busy, but doesn't really amount to much. And then he'll give you the like pretentious Woody Allen Shakespeare quote, but he mm. dumbs it down for like, and as a kid, I thoroughly enjoyed this. It's not off-putting at all. Yep. Kids will love this movie. Yeah, but I think it's it starts out so much of it being like, the LA sections of Annie Hall mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. making fun of like, oh, this ridiculousness. What are we doing? Are we driving through plutonium? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and then that starts to sort of fall by the wayside for yeah, more of the character stuff. And then sort of like the magical realism of the freeway signs that yeah. talk to him. Mm-hmm. I love like, that's actually that my adorable. favorite part. That's my favorite part is the freeway sign. Like I, I kind of saw her as like a grandmother Willow character from Pocahontas sort of. I don't know. I re- that was like those yeah, scenes were really where it started to turn around for me where I was like, this is actually extremely charming and I'm, I'm kind yeah. of getting on board with this. And it's, it's, and also, it's, it's, it's too, a movie like, that's, that's angry about LA, but one of the things I didn't notice until rewatching it, like in, in the opening of the movie, you can watch him drive by and they'll be like, the first thing that the <laughs> the sign that starts the whole scenario of the movie off, it's an L.A. weather traffic sign that starts talking mm. to Steve Martin. You can see people on the side of the road just looking up at signs. Mm. And, and the first thing the sign says to him is L.A. wants to help you. So Steve Martin is imagining this town that infuriates him also is an or- organism who wants to help him survive. So many like joyful performances in this too, mm. like just where people are really loving what they're doing. Like Sarah Jessica Parker is a light and like, she's <laughs> just, uh, this is one of my favorite things I've ever seen her in. Um, and it's so much fun to, I, I don't love sex in the city really, but I do love so many of Sarah Jessica Parker's like movie roles. Like I love her in this now, which I just discovered. She's 
an absolute light in the first wives club, just hilarious mm-hmm. and so good. And then she plays the opposite role, but still wonderful in the family stone. Like, so I really did you did love you, what she's doing in this. Did you see what she said about the movie? Cause I, I, I don't want to interrupt you. I just like, I did a ton of research cause I wanted to hear more what Steve Martin said about the film, given that he wrote it and right. the movies that Steve Martin writes tend to always be the best. Unless they have the word pink or panther. Sarah Jessica Parker said, no, this movie changed my career. I was a nerd. I was a mousy person. No one had ever, in Fly the Navigator, she's a nurse's intern, like dressed in white the whole time. Like no one had ever told me I was sexy before. And like after this, like I got to like, I was cast as a romantic lead. Like, I mean, like, yeah. not not even a romantic lead, like a sex pot lead. Yeah. Like basically, like, because... That's kind of the point of their relationship is not even like I think they know going into the relationship like we're not going to be together, but we like each other and we're attracted to each other. So like let's hook up. And yeah, I mean she's so like full of life and so sexual and vital. Like I don't know. I love the way she casts Steve Martin too because like mm-hmm. I was watching him in it and thinking like there's some real like dad look attraction that I'm having for Steve Martin. <laughs> like he – he, for as long as I've known him, like in my adult life or young life, you know, because I really started knowing who he was in parenthood, like he's always looked like my friend's dad's, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the white hair and like his hair suit and like just like he looks like a middle aged dude always. <laughs> and so he, she makes him almost more attractive and more vital and younger, like in, can do in her attraction to him, which I totally get. Weird. It's like, I almost want to point at her and say, this is a good manic pixie dream girl because she's not like, uh, I love life and I'm embracing life and I'm going to teach you how to embrace life. And it's like, <laughs> no, she's just living her truth, man. Yes. And her truth is she is just a bundle of energy and wants mm-hmm. to fuck when she fucks and colonics. She thinks are fun. And she's just, <laughs> Little things I appreciate. She's going to spokesmodel school, and there's just one slow motion shot of a bunch of people like just fanning their hands around a bottle. (laughs) And but she's not dumb. I don't think she plays characters dumb at all. She's not dumb, and she knows what she's getting out of this relationship, Mm -hmm. and that's what she wants right now. And so that's cool. She's She's not there to. She's not there to serve the main character. She is her own character. When she's not on screen, she's doing something. She's not just waiting. I think Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of moments in this movie that. uh, Make it, well, I pass things like the Bechtel test, but I do like it as <laughs> the older I get, the more I relate to the two romantic leads where one is one is going on going on one last date to make it work with their ex-husband. These are things that old people do that I'm a little more, oh yeah, I've, I've either done that or I know people who have to have gone through that <laughs> or I'm seeing someone oh, yes. much younger than because I've broken up with somebody. And I really liked Victoria Tennant in the movie, who I don't know from anything else but Steve Martin movies. Because she was Mrs. Steve Martin. Because she was Mrs. Oh, Steve Martin. Oh. Yeah. And, well, and because you're not a teenage girl, so you didn't watch Flowers in the Attic. So. Right. Okay, now. She, they, they, they <laughs> met, I'm familiar with the novel. They, uh, yeah. they met on the Lily Tomlin, Steve Martin movie, All of Me, and she was the villain. Mm-hmm. And he sort of wrote this role for her, and I wasn't paying attention to the tabloids at the time, but she kind of publicly ripped Steve Martin's heart out and kicked it down the stairs. Wait, so- were they together? Yes, they're, they the are film? married. They are married in real life when they're making this movie. That's wild. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that's a really good indication of their chemistry because mm-hmm. that was a thought I had while I was watching this film was that, wow, it would be really weird to write a movie and then cast it and have such chemistry and such like believable love for another person and then have your partner like be like, I don't know, 
over here like don't worry about it it's fine like their chemistry was that believable that this movie made me think like damn that could be a real problem i feel like it, it just their chemistry is so believable that it, it made me think about like wow i wonder how that went down and apparently not good that she wasn't left, an she, issue because she played the love interest she, she left she left steve martin very publicly for another actor uh, they got divorced, and he drowned his sorrows in a little bit of Anne Heche before she would leave him for someone also mm-hmm. famous. So, for like, yeah. yeah, before we were paying attention to Tap, like Steve Martin, this likable guy, was getting his heart ripped out pretty publicly all over the place. So that's why I was saying I haven't heard him talk about a lot about this movie since because oh. it clearly is quite literally a passion project that involved Aww. his then wife. And Aww. and it, it feels there's something about it that feels a little personal, even though it's couched in very in absurdity that like maybe this was what happened when he got together with her. I also have to say, too, I love Richard E. Grant. Yes. My introduction I to him, this movie. Oh. So I actually did not have an introduction to Richard E. Grant until Girls, the HBO television program. Oh, and then, get with the program, honey. No kidding. I have been hugely remiss because he is a god dang delight i love him mm-hmm. i'm so into so damn old convention i <laughs> i love Go. the lines in this movie i quote them yeah. all the time with nail and i <laughs> with nail and oh. i yeah, i gotta joy. get on it and yeah. you always know it's richard e grant because he's kind of refused to change his haircut his entire career uh-huh. <laughs> it looks exactly the same i think he was nominated right for yeah. uh, can you ever forgive me Yes. yes. And yeah. his whole thing about how much he loves Barbara Streisand. And then he was like outside the gates of her house, like, just like, I love you, Barbara. And then she <laughs> she reciprocated. It was just so cute. I just really love Richard E. Grant quite so much. He's wonderful. I, I just, I want to, I quote so many lines from this movie. I had to show it to my girlfriend because she's like, everything you just said doesn't make sense. I love shouting in the middle of someone being honest with me and like, this is how I find out. You tell me. And like, <laughs> It's one of my favorite things to yell, but in a real argument, man, it sucks. Like, unless someone hasn't seen this movie. <laughs> well, I, I heard that you took a course in conversation. Yes. <laughs> I, love, I, I, I don't know. I forget that actress's name, too. She only has a small part, but her deadpan of just. Yes. Yes. The, and and Amon is in that scene with Kevin Pollack and Larry Miller. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I forgot Miller. about Amon. Yeah. There's, there's so many. Absolutely great lines in this. And then just wonderful Arrested Development style cutaways with this, which should be a pretentious Frenchy Woody Allen soundtrack, but like just sort of dips into Enya after a while that makes it seem like a dream. It's Mm. beautiful. Like, Mm. I love the Enya soundtrack. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? Like, did Steve Marsh just love Enya? Like, What's up with that? Because it's gorgeous. It's it's very ethereal and it works for like the dreamlike quality of so many of the scenes in this movie. And also, I fucking love Enya. I mean, she's just living her best life. Yeah, it's like it, there's nothing that's there's weirdly no one has done the Enya thing. It's if it sounds like Enya, it's probably Enya. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. there's a lot of it in this movie. Over, oh, I'm trying to think of my favorite cameo. I lost it. I did want to. I keep reading. Martin Lawrence does an uncredited cameo in this, and I'm just like. I think someone's actually racist, and this has been reported over and over again, because I've seen this movie thousands of times when Martin Lawrence was popular. He is not in this movie. Couldn't find him anywhere. I'm putting that question to the audience. I could be wrong, but I really don't think I am. It's just one of those things that happens with the internet. It's just a trivia point that gets diarrheaed and out into the snake's asshole over and over and over again until someone comes in like, no. He's not in this movie. But I, I think everybody should see this movie. It's an underrated gem. I, I know Steve Martin, we don't talk about him that much anymore, but he really had a good string of movies, and this is my favorite of his. All of my favorites mm. are the ones that he wrote. 
And there's even references to other movies that he's written in here. As I he's find had... out, you tell me is is a, in another movie. Pointy bird. He reads Pointy Birds, which is from his book Ant Man with Two Brains. I was like, I, I was like, I wrote down. I love that <laughs> the British woman he loves mom sounds like a Monty Python character. I'm like, oh no, that is Terry Jones. It is Terry <laughs> Jones on the phone playing a Monty Python character. How are you, love? <laughs> yeah. Steve Martin has had one of the more interesting careers, mm-hmm. I think, in Hollywood and is still going, you know. But, I mean, he's he's doing everything. He's writing novels. He's directing. He's being in some of the, like, most indelible comedy and dramas, like, of our time period. It's he's he's worth your time. And he does, I love that he doesn't really care to do anything like uh, cameo and stuff that Lorne Michaels produces. And until then, I'm going to play banjo with my band. And I don't... I don't care to do anything oh, else. I'm going to collect art. On the banjo. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. I, I, but Steve Martin, just every time I look at him, he, and he, he, I know part of the reason I liked him, he, he just looked so much like my uncle at the time yeah. and my, yeah. my funny uncle. But he is a very unlikely looking movie star. Yeah. You have to admit, like, I think he's like younger than me in this movie, but he's, he's great well, to the he's temple. Like, he's like Tom Hanks in that he's a plain dude. Yeah. He's just like, just looks like any other dude. Like he looks like your friend's dad. And still, and knock like, on wood, scandal free. Steve Martin, baby. Just wanted yeah. to sing his praises a little bit. Yeah, yeah. L.A. Story. I think it's definitely a lock this week, man. Mm. It's easy to recommend because, like, there's nothing in here that isn't really kid friendly, and uh, it's also very guy, girl, and everything in between friendly. There's just nothing in this movie that's objectionable. Nothing that hold like. There's nothing embarrassing in here. There's nothing human. <laughs> It, it, I love that about it. It's just silly and nice. And it's mm. of a tone that I don't, I can't place. I don't think there's any other movie like this. And I'm, I, I did want to like just sit Diana down like, tell me another movie that hits this kind of tone. It's not Oof. quite naked gunny because it is grounded in something real, but it is, abs- it's intentionally absurd. It's but, very absurd. But heady. Oh, I love it. I can't think yeah. of I can't think of anything else like LA LA story and in a just world we would bother Steve Martin every day to make more movies like this or somebody. Yeah, it's fun. That's it's a fun. really good point. It's, a fu- it's just fun. Yeah. It's a fun romantic comedy and you like everyone in it. There's there's no villain other than Woody Harrelson and he's that's why he's there and it's for like 14 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. really great, mm. but I have to go to bat also for the next one. Oh yeah, can you see this with your kids and your <laughs> for the next? No, one? but why would I want no. to? I, I suppose, I suppose. <laughs> Kevin Anderson, Patrick Bergen, and finally knocking Home Alone off of the number one slot at the box office after three months. Three months, twelve Wild. weeks in a row. Home yeah. Alone has been the only number one at the box office film, and finally, Julia Roberts is coming around and taking him down. Yeah. Hell yeah. With sleeping with the enemy. What's your name? Where are you from? Our question. She's changed her name. Her looks. Her life. <laughs> All to escape the most dangerous man she ever met. Her husband. Where is she? This is our last chance. I can't live without you. And I won't let you live without me. Julia Roberts, sleeping with the enemy. I, I saw this title. I'm like, we already watched this for the show. And I was like, oh, fuck. I avoided this because I thought it was Married to the Mob. And ah. you know, like, <laughs> they, the titles could have been. What? You could have changed the, the titles out. <laughs> I know, I know. But I thought we'd already watched it. And like, there was some mistake. I'll watch LA Story again. <laughs> Dang. Uh, well, I have to say, I really like Sleeping with the Enemy. I mean, it is a by the books thriller. 
yeah. from this time. It's very of the time period. It's basically a higher budget, better acted TV movie. Which oh, totally. is fine. It's fu- that's great. It's like totally, yeah. I mean, it's the template. You know, so many Lifetime movies that are yes. are like this about you know escaping an abusive home and then trying to rebuild. And oh no, he found me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like it's better acted. It's better directed. The tension mm-hmm. is just much much higher than you would expect from yeah. yeah I mean, it's cookie cutter. Whatever. Roger Ebert called it a slasher movie in disguise. But this this. Sure. This would go on to make two hundred million, almost two hundred million dollars at the domestic box office, and is that based on the idea of is Julia Roberts now like just a bona fide? Oh, this girl can carry a movie; people will come see her in any. That that is unusually high numbers given what the subject matter is. It's the movie that I miss now, like nowadays more than anything else, which is just a straight up thriller. We we Sarah Sarah and I are also researching a topic for an uh upcoming Laser Time. That has basically disappeared from movie theaters, and this is sort of that. Mm -hmm. A high-budget version of, if you can do it on TV, it it won't really command the bucks of the box off. Yeah, it is very cookie-cutter. Yes, there are like definitely some plot holes you can punch in here, but it's very fun, it's very well-acted, and it'll keep you on the edge of your seat, for sure. Got Julie Roberts with her big, beautiful hair and her big, beautiful teeth, just like, you know, acting all over your screen, and... I'm into it, honestly. Yeah, I, I really like this movie a lot. You know, what's weird is I was thinking about this, not even knowing that we were going to talk about it on the show, but I was thinking about this a couple months back watching the Elizabeth Moss Invisible Man mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that Ooh. opens with a sequence Ooh. really similar to a sequence oh, yes. in this where her thing is she she fakes her own death to, to get away from her super abusive husband mm-hmm. and her just sneaking around the house like quietly plodding around like pretty much in her underwear dripping wet as she's like getting all her stuff and sneaking away real super quiet like and i was like oh yeah hey something weird is good and it's got a really good ending line a hundred percent i will no longer be sleeping with the enemy i'm not (laughs) sleeping with you anymore enemy (laughs) i'm sleeping with friends (laughs) in 2011 two of them will come out but (laughs) this is a classic i think like a a a, not a classic in the like afi sense of classic but a classic of the sense of like a classic genre film of the this kind of thriller that was ubiquitous during the late 80s, early 90s, basically all the way through the 90s up until the early 2000s again. But it's but like a reference point because it's like it the is. best and most popular of this kind of story. Mm-hmm. It is. It holds, like it so, bro- many, so many Lifetime movies we say, oh, it's like Sleeping with the Enemy. It's escaping yes. from the It, it yeah. broke the record of the highest grossing movie in the first week of release starring a woman since Alien. Damn! Since <laughs> Alien. Over over a decade ago. Wow. <laughs> and it, it's good because the bad guy is so bad and the good girl is so good. I mean, it's she's pretty much America's sweetheart and will be probably for the next, next decade. I, I don't know. I recommend it if just as part of the film canon of this is a specific genre film that kind of set the stage for so many other films yeah, and so much of TV. And I think it deserves some praise for that. Even with like the plot holes and, you know, there's definitely some, there's definitely camp here too. <laughs> I think it's like definitely, there are some real campy parts to this. I love, 
so much. I mean, there is a full costume changing montage scene, which I love so much. So yeah, this, I I loved LA story. I absolutely recommend it, but I know you guys, that's your big recommend of the week. Mm. My recommend is sleeping with the enemy. Oh, thanks for ruining the consensus. (laughs) I'm I'm looking and see how many times this movie has been remade in India. It's, uh, it's over 12. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think this worldwide. I also want to say, too, I mean, this movie definitely deals with spousal uh, partner abuse and Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. So if that's a trigger for you, it's definitely something to be aware of. There's no pet deaths. So that's usually comes along with spousal Mm -hmm. partner abuse. So you don't have to worry about that. But if that's a trigger for you, just something to be aware of. It's not super graphic, I don't think necessarily. But yeah, it's upsetting. It's upsetting. It's definitely upsetting. Yeah, moving into television, and there's a lot of big television this week as well. Katie Couric joins the Today Show, subbing for Deborah Norville, who's on maternity leave. She becomes the regular co-host. Ooh. Lesson, never go on maternity leave. Uh, She starts in Mm -hmm. April... And is there until 2006. I did not know she got the she got the job that way. And on the 6th, Seinfeld, the jacket. What's the jacket about? I, so Georgia this jacket? Is, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep talking about Seinfeld. This Wait, is another class. I guess. Is it the suede jacket? It is. Okay. You don't want to wear that in the rain. You should turn it inside out. But you know what? I mean, cows go in the rain. All, what do you think? Cows, when it starts raining, they're like, get in the barn. Let me in. I'm swayed. <laughs> Put me in the barn. <laughs> Is that in the show? I know that from his act. I think that might be one of the interstitials like okay. uh, of him doing stand-up. But yes, Come on, let us in. I'm swayed. <laughs> the, the overarching story is that George and Jerry are meeting up with Elaine and her father for dinner because they're adults in their 30s and they are still meeting with their parents for free dinner. I don't know. Jerry has this gorgeous new suede jacket that everyone's making a huge deal of because that was a big thing in the 90s. It's <laughs> your beautiful leather jacket. Mm-hmm. And so he wears it to the dinner and then it starts to rain, but they have to walk in the rain. That jacket gets ruined. It's it's just a fan. It's an, it's another fantastic classic episode. But the reason I also wanted to highlight it is because we get to see Elaine's father, who was inspired by Richard Yates, who's a novelist. And Larry David dated Richard Yates's daughter and was like ex- Monica Yates and was extremely <laughs> intimidated by him. And so that was the inspiration for uh, Elaine's dad. And Elaine's dad was played by Lawrence Tierney, who, Ooh. yeah, so I figured Diana would know about <laughs> Lawrence Tierney, a real scary dude. And so I wanted to highlight this clip because it absolutely shows the like extremely awkward vibe of when you have to like interact with your friends or maybe your partner's like parent without your friend or partner there. Ooh. And you kind of have to like make that weird conversation <laughs> with them. And especially when they're kind of scary. <laughs> it looks like rain. I know, I know. That's what they said. Who said? Uh, the weather guy, Dr. Waldo. <laughs> I don't need anybody to tell me it's going to rain. <laughs> oh, no, of course not. I, I didn't. All I had to do was stick my head out the window. Which one's supposed to be the funny guy? Oh, he's the comedian. I'm just a regular person. No, no, he's just being modest. We had a funny guy with us in Korea. Tail gunner. 
They blew his brains out all over the Pacific. <laughs> There's nothing funny about that. No longer missing right. a lot of old people I knew who talk like that because that's what they I've, do in every conversation. Uh, yeah, people mm. might recognize Lawrence Tierney from Reservoir Dogs yes. or from stopping Bart Simpson from stealing Bone Storm. <laughs> You're banned for life from the store, kid. Apropos of nothing, I thought for a long time Goldie Hawn was cameoing in L.A. Story um, mm-hmm. as Ariel's consistently drunk and hungover roommate. It's a very, very small part. And I had to look up for this episode. Like, that's obviously not Goldie Hawn. Who is it? I'm like, who is that? Okay, who is that? It's Frances Fisher, who's starring as Lucille Ball in this week's... She's in both L.A. Story and starring hey. as Lucille Ball in the Lucy and Desi Before the Laughter movie, uh, also starring Maurice Bernard as uh, Desi Arnaz. Lucy? She was the all-American bombshell they called the Queen of the Bees. He was a charismatic Cuban band leader with a reputation as a ladies' man. I hear he's a real lady killer. Here's his next victim. Together, they would become America's favorite Hollywood couple, Lucy and Desi. How they met. I get it. I I, I said that about The Godfather previously, but as a younger person, the first 15 years of my life, I think I saw or... I saw a Lucille Ball clip, or it was her. She was referenced every day of my life. Yeah, and and then I think one of Gary Marshall's last interviews. I look, I got a sixty-nine cent residual check from I Love Lucy. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I go like months without thinking about Lucille Ball. That's weird. I hope people are still watching this. It was like one of the oldest things my sister became a huge fan of. Yeah, it's was- a huge bummer to me to think about people not knowing who she is because I grew up watching her at Nick and Night. Mm-hmm. It was like Lucy Tuesdays or whatever. And I watched all Nick at Night programming, basically. It did not matter what it was. One of the first comedians on a stamp. Yeah. And she just, it's a huge bummer to me that I think a lot of young people don't know who she is. And also another huge bummer to me is that horrible statue of her that went up. I love that Lucy statue. It's so terrifying. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You know she'd I hate think it. Love it, honestly. I yeah. think she probably loves she'd it. She'd make a great episode young. about it. Yeah. yeah, I I kind of wanted to watch this to see like does this get as mean as it probably should? Because I believe Desi was accused of roughing her up a couple times. Mm, there's definitely a scene in the promo where she has a black eye. So oh, oh okay. Besides, like cheating on her constantly. So Yay. it was a different time. Sucks. She started they have a... separate beds. What's he supposed to do? Sucks. She started a company with her, and she does everything. You're about to lose a lot of money, sir. Literally would not be Star Trek without Lucy. Yep. And it's, I think it's also the reason Twilight Zone was shot on film is because they were adamant that things look good. And it's why, yeah. why Luce, I Love Lucy, Star Trek, and Twilight Zone look good. Desi Lu Studios. Yep. Um, She's literally, besides being like one of the first, it's probably like one of the oldest TV shows that anyone could just watch now and enjoy. I, think- I, I Love Lucy and the Honeymooners, I feel like, are like, this is the early television example. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can still watch it, except for, you know, a lot of them end with him spanking her for her naughtiness, and that's wah, always weird. Wah. But she was a freaking television pioneer. She was yeah. smart. I hope, I hope that doesn't awaken anything in me. Just uh, kidding. It already did. I gotta tell you, the episode we're doing, it always did for me. But a, a bigger awakening, the comedy nerd awakening. I, it wasn't just the Steve Martin movie. And this parallels L.A. Story. What else has L.A. Story's tone? And accidentally nailed it because Sarah put it in TV this week. The Adventures of Pete and Pete. It's it it's oh. almost exactly the same, and it yeah. and the kids who grew up watching Pete and Pete, I believe they're the ones making all the good comedies now because kid based comedies are 
typically terrible and run a very short course. And the trajectory of Pete and Pete, in 1989, it starts as interstitials for Nickelodeon. And I know a lot of you in LA and New York, a, uh, a channel with a lot of inventory. So Nickelodeon is literally shooting short films to put in between shows because they have a lot of real estate. That's what it is for two, three years. Big Pete, Little Pete, Friend Ellen, already the strongest man in the world. And then in 1991, we get the very first ever Pete and Pete half an hour special. There will be five more specials throughout the next three years. And then we will get the first episode of the show. And the show (laughs) goes until 1996. And the kids look relatively, uh, Alan and even little Pete, you can see the puberty happens in there. But like, it's a long time for kids to be the focal point of a show. But Pete and Pete is absolute bliss. It's like L.A. story, it is gorgeous. Most of it is shot on, like, location in New Jersey, on weird scenes. I believe the woman who uh, directed all of these was a music video director. So Michael Stipe and the B-52s lady and Iggy Pop would just show up doing cameos on Pete and Pete because it was directed by cool people. They had <laughs> they had access to an indie catalog of songs, and some of those bands would go on to be, like, the Magnetic Fields and, like, Apples and Stereo. So it's, it's a crazy good kids tv show it looks great it's it's I, it's not quite i don't think it's been updated to hd it's not widescreen or anything but it is absurdist it's surreal two brothers named pete one with a, a very lewd full length forearm lady tattoo the younger brother and this is the first episode the saint valentine's day massacre i think the villain here is the one of the guys who stole ferris bueller's car i forget his name and i didn't i don't have these shows intro because it doesn't exist for another three years until polaris writes it my name's pete by the way this year's my brother pete yeah we come back here every now and then to pay respects to the squid i killed it's true i killed it but it was an accident i swear you see my dad's this guy who always wanted to be a discus thrower in the olympics sometimes he even sneaks out at night and pretends he's champion of the world he kept bugging me to practice so at least someone in our family could be on a cereal box i said no thanks But then the guilt started getting to me, and one February night I gave in. I felt like a spaz king out there with my friend Ellen and Pete, but then I thought of my poor dad and I let one rip. It was a toss I think he would have been proud of, if only it hadn't crash-landed right on our sacred school mascot, Edna the Fighting Squid. Ellen said... I'm sorry, I had to to get all that just to emphasize, like, that's like 16 different scenes for a kid show. It's super deeply weird. and like Very weird. And and you're right in that, like, I think so many of the people who write comedy now were deeply influenced by this. Like, I remember watching it as a kid and having no idea what was going on, ever, but still loving it. And I still think about the King of the Road episode with the elbow. Yeah. How far his elbow out is a sign of his dad's masculinity out the window as yes. you're driving? <laughs> I, I think about it every time I go on a road trip. This show, if you're not familiar with Pete and Pete, just think, I mean, it's 30 Rock. It's Portlandia. It's Arrested Development to me. It's Arrested Development. Because when it, I, I just want to say, whenever you guys mention Pete Rose, I don't know baseball. I know it as Arrested Development's reference to second base, which uh, George Michael got to with maybe. And he went in head first, like... Pete Rose, and they just <laughs> show Pete Rose diving into a base with applause. They just did that on Pete and Pete, talking about a cereal box that his dad wanted him to be on. They cut away to a fake Wheaties box with cheering and applause, just like Arrested Development would always do with Pete Rose. Mm-hmm. And it did it 20, 20 years beforehand. Pete and Pete yeah. is amazing, man. It's like... It's not just nostalgia. I watch this show. It's Most of it's on YouTube. I think the first two seasons are on DVD. It holds up incredibly well. 
And I think about the show a lot because I have not seen it since I saw it as a child, Mm -hmm. but so many of the scenes and like the humor of it have stuck in my craw so much that like I feel, I feel it come up every now and then. And I watch, like I said, like 30 Rock and Portlandia and documentary now even like I see like those permutations come off of it. Like it, it's all the same humor. And so if you like this, you'll like that. I mean, freaks and geeks that's a big part of it too like yeah it's all influenced malcolm in the middle obviously i don't know that malcolm in the middle would exist if pete and pete didn't exist yeah a a very surreal absurdist kids tv show Mm -hmm. i i feel like such a jerk that i miss this before just about any time it has come up with anyone in a very very diverse groups of people all kinds of different kinds of people have told me that this is like their first favorite show or that i should watch it or they they didn't like they loved it as a kid and they were worried if they went back and watched it it wouldn't hold up it'd be too stupid and then they watch it and it's like oh my god it was even better i didn't get half of these jokes as a kid it's even uh, my husband has at least the first season on dvd and i have not watched it and i am a dick woman you should watch i know because for one reason all of those are great reasons but Toby Huss is their hero? Yeah, Artie, strongest man in the world. Yes, he does Toby Huss My little needs, <laughs> needs to be appreciated by everyone for everything ever. I think he is just an amazing performer. Yeah. Uh, where are people most known from? I mean, besides Carnival, where he was actually like a serious character, which was weird for me. I mean, I, but, I remember uh, I first discovered what, him. Cotton M- Hill? A Cotton Hill? <laughs> and, and, and sadly, uh, what's the, the Asian neighbor next door? Khan. Khan. Yeah. He is Khan. Uh, I saw him do, he would do promos on comedy central or mtv where he would just sing like a sinatra style rap hits insane in the membrane yeah <laughs> on yes. mtv and in the 90s on, shit was it he was on glow recently feud? i think it was on feud mm-hmm. the uh where he played sinatra for like half an episode and i was so happy about it yeah wow i didn't know that now i want to, i'm a huge toby husband great instagram follow by the way good photographer oh, oh okay <laughs> Yeah, there's so much. I have not revisited the show, but there's so much that I think about from the show, including beating up the ocean. Yes, that's, that's the next episode. <laughs> I I grew up in a coastal town. I go to the beach a ton. It's still fun I to do. About, I oh, I beat up the ocean. We've done it together. I'm yeah. pretty sure. <laughs> it's still fun to do, and the ocean does not mind. Like you can really get it all out. Yeah, you just let it out, man. Those waves uh, keep coming out. You just fucking uppercut those waves. Mm-hmm. It feels super good. <laughs> all right. So I feel like, yeah, my penance is I'm going to have to watch all of this, which looks like it's not that hard to do. 34 episodes, five specials, 16 yeah. interstitials. 13 short, of which you so. can't, you also, can't get. Yeah. And I did not know this, obviously, when I was watching it. All of my favorite people that went on the mixtapes that I made in high school came from the show or were on the show apparently yeah they, they said that it was an accident they said it was an accident and... that was just who they had access to and they weren't they hadn't broke yet and they, they were just they had they had contact with one person at one label and a lot of those bands would go on to be indie darlings in the 2000s yeah. well <laughs> I realized recently that my love language is mixtapes so <laughs> like so many is that why you gave me one that was just all Chumbawamba remixes Yes, because I fucking hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that that reminds me, it's not mentioned in the show. Before the show aired, he would always introduce Ellen as she's a girl and she's my friend, but she's not my girlfriend. And it was just one of the first shows that, like, I saw do that, where, like, when you're really young, like, it's not totally natural for you to, for 
a boy to have his best friend be a girl and it needs to be acknowledged. They acknowledge it so much, it just never needed to be acknowledged after that by the time the show hit because you knew what their relationship was like. Oh, that's a huge deal, though, for shows of this time. Totally. Like, any friendship between two people of opposite gender had to end up in something. So, yeah. But I think that the term, she's a girl, she's a friend, she's not a girlfriend, like, for me, that hails from Pete and Pete. And I've, I've heard it a couple places. Check out Pete and Pete. A lot of these specials, especially are not only on YouTube, they seem to be like the ones taken from Nickelodeon internally because they have like a lot of meta information at the beginning that you would not see in a DVD. And SNL this week um, is hosted by Kevin Bacon with musical guests in excess. Uh, But more importantly, Adam Sandler and Tim Meadows joined the cast this week, two of SNL's most notable cast members ever of all time. And Mm -hmm. we see the first ever Stuart Smalley sketch, which was weird for me because like, I didn't know who Al Franken was and he wasn't in any other sketches. And all of a sudden, like, (laughs) who's this guy I don't find funny yet? Now, I do find it very funny. (laughs) Yeah. So I like the Stuart Smalley concept so much. And I kind of love the idea, too. I've I've been thinking a lot about this recently is that, like, at the time when this was introduced, it was kind of like a parody of Mm self-help that was... Definitely something that was ubiquitous at the time and like, oh, I can make fun of it. Same way, like with LA Story, like all the new agey stuff, you Mm. know. Coming around to it now, I think we need this more than ever, y'all. Like, (laughs) honestly, I think we've like come around, like we are in the like midst of the Gen X cynicism of self-help and how like everything's garbage and so is self-help and everyone just needs to like grind, grind, grind. Now I feel like we're coming back around to a place where we need oh, some yeah. of those affirmations, right? Oh yeah. How much do you hear about self-care or right? being yeah. on a healing journey? Yes. Or, I, I can hear uh, the sarcasm in your mindfulness. Voice. I okay, I am sick of the word mindfulness. <laughs> Even though that's a great concept and we need it. Healing journey. Actually, I like healing is not a switch you turn on and off. So yes, healing journey. Fine. But, well, I yeah, guess that's self-care. just your truth, okay. and I have to I accept that. I think I need to do some affirmations, <laughs> Diana. I think I, I need some affirmations. I, 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 I do want to say, in defense of Al Franken... Look in the mirror and tell myself, in defense, doggone it, people love In defense me. of Al Franken, he's doing this as a parody of something he is also steeped in. And he would yes. talk about that later. Like He wasn't joking about Alan on his wife grew up in a cycle of depravity and alcoholism not him yes. so he had to go to Al-Anon you're not an alcoholic Al- some Al-Anon like some person Al- you're yes. with is an alcoholic this is a parody of it and yet I kind of love because I do think it's like a real thing that we should all be like super into again yeah but it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a guy you who's also I'm super into Wait, again what's that senators who resign when they fuck up <laughs> Well, only on one side. Only on one side, apparently, though. Only on one side. So to me, the funniest, and I'm I'm happy to connect this as an SNL nerd, I had to read the transcript because I couldn't find this episode. After the monologue, where they usually do a commercial parody, there is a disclaimer. Like, at this point, we would have run a commercial parody, but we thought it was insensitive with our boys fighting overseas because the Gulf War has just started. So with our boys overseas and everyone's attention on something far more important, we've decided to table our commercial parody for the Execujon, the suitcase you can poop in. Um, (laughs) And that's the joke. And and that's that's the... (laughs) The joke is the sketch you don't see. I do want to point out when Bill Hader hosts SNL two years ago, Beck Bennett did that sketch. It is the executive <laughs> stuff that you poop in. It, right. it has a new spin, but it is, a, it is I, I don't even know if it has a different name. It's a lamp that you shit in in this one. And then if you run into space, <laughs> right, right, 
in the lamp. You can do it in other things like the calculator and the stapler. I 100% remember that. Everything old is new again. The other thing that I love that came from this episode was the sarcastic clapping family of Southampton. <laughs> where every, it's just like kind of a parody of Great a... Great observation. And we're only describing these things to you because we cannot find the clips for yeah. you online, unfortunately. But I do love the whole idea of like a whole family where anytime anyone says a... It's just sarcastic clapping. <laughs> Bravo, Sarah. Well said. One of my favorite. The part she's forgetting is. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> I love a sarcastic clap. Always, always. Oh, you never, you never see one in real life. I gotta bring, I gotta start bringing those back uh, no, once I see don't people really again. Have very many traumatic dinner parties anymore, or meetups in general. <laughs> it's hard to you do. Know, over I'm just Zoom. gonna add that to my list of what am I gonna do? Me and the boys after we get our <laughs> vaccinations. You know, you know, it was it was going to be like road trip and Mardi Gras and finally meeting my niece. But I should add sarcastic clapping on there too. Great <laughs> Let me tell you, the plan, problem with Diana. sarcastic, sarcastic <laughs> clapping issue over Zoom is that there's so much lag that no one can tell when you're clapping. Like, is I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you clap. I'm sorry, you clap. You go ahead and clap. Clapping? I'll clap. What's happening? You clap. Okay, you go ahead. I'll, I'll start. It'll I'll be start. like no, a round. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Round, you clap. Like, you slow okay, clap first. Okay, no, okay, okay yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Wait. No, shit. We are running right. long and I don't have time a lot of time to tell long. you. I wanted to tease yeah, you and say too. the best arcade game release of this this era was Sonic Blast Man, the game that you literally punched. I have no idea how this was legal with little unattended kids in a putt putt. But the reality is it is Street Fighter Two. Street Fighter One making a tiny bit of a splash, but like had a odd technical hitch where it like had three pressure sensitive buttons that would constantly break or they had to make available. So the next one, they threw all that out, made a couple of the world warriors and it, it with this iconic intro and uh, you have six buttons for a heart, like light, medium and fierce punches and kicks. One of the most famous soundtracks of all time, Street Fighter. It literally kickstarted a genre. It is played competitively on ESPN 30 years later. There are not many games more important than Street Fighter 2, and Street Fighter 2 is out this week on the 6th, allegedly. <laughs> Again, it's an arcade game. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember when I saw it, but it, it, it we were kind of done with arcades and all about our Nintendos. This brought us, this bought the arcades five more years worth of life. Um, and I, I was I was in arcades every weekend because of Street Fighter 2. And I'm not a very competitive guy. Music of 1991, the February 5th through 11th. Oh, um, we got Innuendo by Queen, their last album with Freddie Mercury. Huh. Yeah, he's not going to see 1992. But he's in a whole bunch of videos for, for this album. And it's like, well, he still, he actually looks pretty good. And I learned something very important, which is, have you ever seen a GIF in black and white? It looks like someone who looks like Michael Jackson wearing a whole bunch of bananas for a hat. It's disturbing. Diana's having a stroke. But I've seen this gif and it creeps me out. Mm. And now I know, oh shit, that's Freddie Mercury from a video for a song off of Innuendo. Innuendo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember when Freddie Mercury died. And, um, we'll, we'll cover it. Yeah, it okay. Was, 
it was a that was a hard week. International yeah. pop overthrow by Material Issue, uh, recurring by Spaceman Three, and cooling at the playground, you know, with by another bad creation. Gonna make you sweat. Everybody dance now. Um, oh, right off a of jock jam. CNC Music Factory. <laughs> it is number one this week. Everyone, cheer for your favorite hockey team as we go to break. But stay right there because 2001 is gonna get even sillier. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time Network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. I got my first content block of strike violation this week. Uh, I was so excited. I was up at 6 in the morning. Uh, no, five in the morning, waiting for the president to leave the White House, and he left in a helicopter, and I just grabbed the video and put the MASH theme song underneath it, and then my caption just so happened to name the title of the song that is the MASH theme with the, the name of the former president, and it read like Suicide is Painless, Mr. Pre- <laughs> Mr. Former President, and I got my first, like, really hard, like, not only hard strike, Facebook and Instagram sent me suicide materials. So, so on the one hand, like, good for you guys, but also, like, again, I could have argued, I feel like I could have disputed this uh, block, but, like, mea culpa. Get bonus time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Coming in with a spicy McHaggis jig from the Dropkick Murphys. Welcome to The Parted. I mean, 302010, segment two. Welcome to 2001, February 5th to the 11th. And uh, some more music that came out to let you really know what decade this is. Good lord. These are like, right off the bat, my fucking fish head friends. I only know these logos from their hats. Dither by uh, Mo and uh, Risen by OAR of a Revolution, I believe. 604 by Ladytron. Today's Empire. Tomorrow's Ashes by Propagandi. And you had it coming by Jeff Beck. Oh, you can, you can feel it. Music still being important to me. It wasn't me by Shaggy is still number one and remains unsolved. <laughs> a little bit of news to bring you into the wonderful world of 2001 before it gets really dark. Um, American oh, submarine. No, this is pretty dark, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, American submarine USS Greenville accidentally strikes and sinks. Jesus. Emi Maru. Emi Maru. Emi Maru, a Japanese training vessel operated by uh, Uwajima Fishery High School. Nine of the Emi Maru's crew were killed, including four high school students. <sighs> yeah. This was a heck of a scandal for a while. It no seems to have just sort of forgotten about the Ehime Maru was run by like a fishing school. And so it had a bunch of students and a bunch of teachers on it. And the USS Greenville is a nuclear submarine that was going out 
with a bunch of civilian like CEOs on board of like, this is all the cool shit that we can do. You should invest in military stuff. It was, you know, like a, a little propaganda thing is for funsies. And they're off Hawaii and they do the uh, the super fast rise, like the blow the ballast tanks. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, where the submarine comes flying out of the water, just like a like a big whale. Mm-hmm. And they did this straight into this fucking ship. And oh, oh, my God. OK, I, pretty so much no, cut it in half. No torpedoes How? or anything. Because they did a lot of things wrong because they had civilians hanging out in the sonar room, talking to guys. They're not paying attention. And like they're supposed to go to periscope depth and they're supposed to look around first. And like they didn't look as hard as they should have. And like no one's talking to each other about like, oh, the ship was on our radar, but now it's not. We're not sure where it is. And it's like it's heading right for you. Don't fucking do this. And so that became like a whole thing of like, uh, should we have civilians fucking around on our submarines where there's other ships around and they can kill people? Turns out, no. But, you know, a bunch of dudes got, like, court-martialed and, like, reprimanded. But then it became, like, a whole thing with Japan of, like, they, they don't like it when our military kills their people. Uh, there's kind of some history there. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. everyone in the government apologized. President Bush, W. Bush apologized. Secretary of Defense apologized. And then there were a bunch of op-eds about, like, stop apologizing to Japan. Uh. And it's like, shut the fuck up. We killed a bunch of high school students. What the fuck? Yeah. It was, it was oh my just God. bad news all around. Well, on, the, on the brighter side of the news, um, uh-huh. remember this being a very weird discussion point in the Weird Al behind the music. Weird Al marries Suzanne Krajewski uh, after being introduced by child star Bill Mooney. And they are still together. As far as I can tell. Sorry, ladies. He's off the mark. There's a very... Child- are Bill Mooney, who is uh, Lost in Space? He's Will oh, Robinson. Okay. He was uh, okay. the kid in It's a Good Life, the Twilight Zone episode. It's good that Billy did that. And Bless the Beast and the Children. Yes, I just watched the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode just yesterday where they talk about everything Bill Mooney has done. But I happen <laughs> to love those three things. 2001 movies. Oh, boy. <laughs> Everyone gets out of the way for the number one movie, except for one thing of counter-programming. And I had to look because most of the ads were like, we're pretending we're this other movie. And then it turns out we're not. Really? Oh, that's fun. I don't re- I, yeah. I remember I wanted to see this movie because of Jack Black. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. a big Tenacious D well, fan and he was he was on the rise. I have to say, there is I do kind of like that kind of old school advertising. I don't think we'll see it anymore where where like they do pretend to be the thing that's they're acknowledging is the big thing, mm-hmm. but it's not like I kind of yeah. like that. Oh, right. Like when Austin Powers 2 did it with Phantom Menace. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Like it's kind of fun. And I don't think we'll ever see that again. Yeah, might be a while. I don't think phenomenons will be that big. Um, well, or, or TV advertising. Either TV advertising or marketing a comedy in general. But uh, Amanda Pete, Jack Black, Steve's on. Uh, also, you'll find out who I call one of the best apes in the Planet of the Apes trilogy with uh, bonus time <laughs> with Sonya Valentine and Jason Biggs in Saving Silverman. And bad ideas. We're going to kidnap Judith and set Darren up with Sandy. Yeah! What? Darren? Sandy? Sandy first. <laughs> the bat is leaving the cave. I keep. I was like, I remember watching this. Like, when when do they get to Sarah Silverman? Like, that's just the fucking title, man. You're not going to see her. <laughs> You're thinking of Screwed or many of those other bad movies that she's in that are almost exactly like this. This movie is not good. And I bought the unrated DVD and watched it several times, so I can I can tell you that for a fact. No. Um, I mean, like the idea that 
I'm trying to think of, I feel like there's so many other examples, but I'm, I'm just stuck thinking of any where it's like, you know, our friend is dating a mega bitch and she's abusing him and she's terrible and we hate him and we're going to break them up. Like, like, I feel like that's a thing that we saw a lot and I'm having trouble pointing at one well, and being like that one. Except that it's a pretty standard rom-com thing for someone to have a horrible fiance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like very bad things maybe. Yeah. Guess a yeah, little but, bit, but that's not the point of very bad things. But yeah, um, and it's also not. I mean, it's sort of the point of this, except that instead of just like they leave out of the trailer that instead of just like oh, we're gonna get his like one true love back in town and woo him away from this evil bitch, they kidnap the evil bitch, mm-hmm. and there's like wacky schmacky violence, <laughs> and they're thinking about killing her. Yeah. Eventually, Steve Zahn gets in a physical punchy fight with (laughs) Amanda Pete, if I'm Mm. not mistaken. But it is one of the weirder movies in that eventually Arlie Ermey shows up and both him and Jack Black come out as gay. And at the end of the movie, literally every character gets married to to one another. (laughs) And all in the midst, if you didn't hear the music, they they have a Neil Diamond uh, tribute band. Neil Diamond also cameos in this. Yes. So Amanda Pete is the bad. She's Jason, B- the this. bad girlfriend of Jason Biggs. But when Steve Zahn kidnaps her, they realize they, uh, at some point in the end, and it's a really le- leap in logic that they actually love one another, get married. Jason Biggs gets married to his old flame, and Jack Black and Arlie Ermy get married. <laughs> 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 okay. Yeah. But is Amanda Pete that bad, or is she just like yes. a career woman? No, who's no, so no, no. Mean? no, no. I mean, yeah. like it's it's hard to find like anything like that in the movie. Movie just because like every character is written like an impossible human being. <laughs> it is there's okay. no realism in this movie at all. It is not yeah. good, and I'm not defending it. And I did not watch it in its entirety to get any new information. This is, this is one of those situations where I personally really love Amanda Peet, and mm-hmm. it may be because I'm very attracted to her, but I like hate that she so often gets put into roles where she is just the worst human. Not a lot, yeah. That's a bummer to me because she's. So attractive and so appealing to me I, always. I, I think it's and I want her to be like cast in better roles. I think it's because she's really good with hard, fast, maleish dialogue. She's very yeah, good at that. Yeah, but that's hmm. some like old ass bullshit. Like it's 2021. Like she needs to get some real. She needs to be our Catherine Hahn. I don't know how many times I, mean, I, I need love to... Catherine Hahn. She's kind of the same. How many times do I need to tell you to watch Brockmire if that's what you want to see from Amanda Pete? It is. She is very good on that show. Okay. And, yes, I'm into that. Now I'm convinced. Yes, I probably never mentioned her, but yes, she's a big fan. I of show. love Amanda Pete so much and want to see better for her. I would I really I really wanted to call this one of the worst experience the next movie, number of the box office. A, I saw it with Sarah's husband. B, I have not seen a movie theater crowd like laugh so much at a film, like uh, unintentionally. This oh. is one of the stupidest movies I've seen in theaters in my whole life. <laughs> Um, and it, it, it I, I don't because it keeps getting shown on TV. So I guess for some people, this is a modern classic. But 20 years ago, number one at the box office, Ray Liotta, Giancarlo Gianni, uh, Gary, Gary Oldman in this movie. Oh, man. Uh, oh. Julianne Moore and Anthony Hopkins reprising his role for more than 15 minutes in uh, the Hannibal Burris biopic Hannibal. Are you paying attention to me? For 10 years, you've waited for his return. I have been in a state of hibernation, but now I'm back home, very healthy. This Friday, the wait is over. Are you ready? We could have some fun. Good evening, Dr. Lecter. 
see you around. Now, this is because this is part of what we do on this show. I will tell you that is 10 years to the week. Yes. Yeah, really? almost exactly hmm. 10 years. Just because of the way weeks line up, it, it should be 10 years to the day, which mm-hmm. means we get to talk about Silence of the Lambs next week, and I am fucking pumped. Oh, Ooh, I'm yeah. so excited. I'm not pumped about this one. Yeah, okay, Even so I'm not I'm not mistaken. It, I thought this was fucking no awful. Th- there's some good stuff in it. I mean, first of all, yeah, it took it a long time to get made. Everyone original said no, except for Anthony Hopkins. Mm-hmm. So we got Julianne Moore coming in as Clary Starling, Starling instead of Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. And then 20 years almost to the day, we've got a Clary Starling TV show coming to CBS, like right now. I would mm-hmm. poo-poo it, but like that Hannibal show, I kept saying That's how, what we should talk about. how much I loved it because I hate these Hannibal movies. I hate Red Dragon. I hate that prequel. I love Silence of the Lambs and Manhunter's okay. But this this movie so- is, a, is a low point. <laughs> So I'm I'm also a little bit confused in like the timeline yeah, it's where up. it's super confusing to me. Like as far as like the books and yeah, Manhunter, the, the Michael Mann movie from the '80s is the first one. Silence of the Lambs is technically a sequel to that one. This this movie was written to be a movie basically by the original author after the success of Silence of the Lambs. So this is chronologically the last, and then they went back and remade Red Dragon. Manhunter, Brett, Brett Ratner did. So that's so, that's technically a prequel to this movie. And then they made a okay. Hannibal Lecter prequel altogether, <laughs> which is oh, awful. Yeah. So I remember, I think I read for the sh- 30 2010 for the show. Mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty sure I read Red Dragon, mm-hmm. the book. When mm-hmm. is the first like Thomas Harris book? Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. so I read that. It's phenomenal. I think this is a bit of a lost world situation where like the author wasn't big on writing a follow up, but it's like Hollywood wants another movie and they're going to make another movie. Would you like all the money from that or part of the mm. money? Write the book. Yeah. So, and mm. Hannibal, the book, I believe, came out in 99. Mm. Uh, they were already working on the movie by the time the book was published. <laughs> wow. And it, I mean, it's a fun read. It reads really fast. It doesn't, it's not as good as Red Dragon or Silence of the Lambs, obvi. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the man can put some sentences together and just propel you forward. Like, you're always wanting to know what's going to happen next. And yeah, the movie's got some definite good parts. I think they actually adapt the book pretty well. They, they cut out some of the stuff, doesn't need to be there. But I don't understand at all because it's directed by Ridley Scott. Yep. A wow, good fucking that. director. Yeah. And he makes so many mistakes so <laughs> early on. Okay, because Clarice Starling should be, you know, She's the character that we're following. We should be following her as she is finding out mystery stuff. You know, that's mm-hmm. she's the actually the main character. And part of that is her encountering Gary Oldman, who's like the only guy that Hannibal Lecter's ever left alive because he is like super torn up and nasty. Mm-hmm. And we should have a reveal of him, you know, and it should kind of shock us like the reveal of Hannibal Lecter when she first meets him as Alan Williams. And instead, Ridley Scott just sort of pans over to him like, here he is. Like, what the f- what? Well, thanks for the little the feeling of what the hell is wrong with that guy. Instead of just like, oh, hey, here's, here's a guy, here's a guy right here. Hey, and th- that Hannibal I in this movie is like it. the the James Bond of in- intestines. <laughs> yeah, that's so, what's so weird is how much more grisly this movie is. Yes, than Sound Slams, which has some pretty fucking nasty violence in it, honestly, but it's kept 
I don't know, classy somehow. And this this, has this shit is ridiculous. Shit. This is really gory. It's one of the goriest like mainstream Hollywood movies I've ever seen, but it's all pretty stupid. <laughs> I kind of yeah. feel like this is one of those things where I need like someone who is a Thomas Harris, like Science of the Lambs super fan to tell me like, here's the order in which you should read the books, watch the <laughs> movies, watch the show. I know Hannibal is like the show is like mm-hmm. Super revered, which yeah. I totally get because it's Brian Filler, and yeah. I love Brian Filler. It's mo- so that, that's much mostly too. it's mostly around Red Dragon. I loved reading Red Dragon, and mm. I love Silence of the Lambs, and I think I would really love Hannibal the show. I need someone to put it all together for me, like a nice yeah, package well, where it's like, have- read this, watch this, do this, all in this order. Okay, well, Hannibal the show makes it kind of tough because it's yeah. sort of it bridges some stuff and overlaps with yep. some other stuff. So mm-hmm. like not connected, I guess the order would be Hannibal, the show mm-hmm. Manhunter slash red dragon, which mm-hmm. is where Hannibal, the show ends, except mm-hmm. those endings are different. Mm-hmm. And then sounds the lamps and then Hannibal, the movie. That's the yes. order. And, and, okay. and if you want my order, don't watch Hannibal, the movie, watch Hannibal, yes. the show. Yes. Yeah, and, and I, Tyler, our old buddy, my old buddy Tyler Wilde, we were going through this like just a few months ago, a bunch of props auctioned off from movies, and they're all ridiculously priced. And like, nah, yeah, I love. Oh, look at this shit! It's fucking Han Solo's original mustache. Great, uh, and <laughs> what a stupid prop. And then they got to like, here is Ray Liotta's brain helmet from the finale of the yeah. movie, where Hannibal is yeah. eating pieces of Ray Liotta's brain while Ray Liotta is sitting at the dinner table and laughing. It's one of the stupidest scenes I've ever seen, but it's like, dude, this is 500 bucks and we could wear this. We could take turns <laughs> wearing this. We could wear Ray Liotta's brain cap. <laughs> I'm into that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the goriness is one thing, and some of it is the silliness. I mean, most of it is about, yeah, Hannibal Lecter's been on the loose for the last 10 years, and then he he's hiding in Italy, pretending to be like an art historian, and then Gary Oldman, super unrecognizable under this really oh, yeah. gross makeup, is because he he's lived with what Hannibal Lecter did to him he's super rich and he's put a bounty on him it's like bring him in alive because I want to I want to murder him myself mm-hmm. and so Gene Carlo Giannini tries to bring him in and there's like all this stuff there and then that's when you know Clary Starling gets involved and figures out like oh here that's where he is oh no now he's coming after me now he's coming after Gary Oldman I don't know Ray Liotta's here somewhere for some reason and it's like it's yeah it's okay I feel like I feel like the parts are all there. I remember I we love Silence of the Lambs, and I remember turning to Sam somewhere at the point where reluctantly Clarice Starling and Hannibal Lecter team up, and he like a fucking eighty year old Anthony Hopkins is holding Julianne Moore in arms, like you'll never catch us. Ha ha! Like (laughs) this is the dumbest thing we've ever seen, right? This is this is really dumb. Yeah, I just I don't know. It has a better ending than the book. I'll give it that. Give me the primer of like read this, then watch this, because it all seems very perplexing to me. It's actually it's actually not that perplexing. Okay, okay. just don't. don't... I'm still saying. I mean, really, Hannibal the show, Manhunter, and Sons of the Lambs are what you need. You can skip Red Dragon because it's just Manhunter. You can definitely skip Hannibal the movie because it's not very good. Hold on. I, I got this, Diana. Sarah, do you want to give Brett Ratner money? Mm. 
Hmm. Skip, skip Red Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, skip Red Dragon. <laughs> yeah, Hannibal the show I thought was amazing. So, I'm shocked uh, uh, that it exists. Yeah, uh, that it was so yes. repulsive. Sometimes I, I saw mean, it on Amazon. I'm like, how, how did they run this on NBC? This is fucking yes. gross. It's <laughs> wild, and I love Brian Fuller. And I watched some of Hannibal, like the first season, and I just like fell off it. But I want to get back into it. This is the same man who gave us Pushing Daisies. Oh my yeah. goodness! Uh, I am I know. into that. Mm. Like this man is full of whimsy and death, and I am down for. Oh, he's it. Known as a TV yeah. fixer, and he, he, I almost hate him because, like, I because of this movie and the Hannibal prequel, Hannibal Rising, is that what it's called? I was like, I'm done with this series. I will never watch this again, ever. And, yeah. and then the Hannibal series kind of fucked all that up. I, I honestly, I, I thought it was a testament to like Anthony Hopkins. He, he is <laughs> one of our greatest actors. We know that, but he did win an Oscar based on like I think 15 minutes of footage yeah and yeah. and the, the world at this point was like yeah we want to see more of the best character from silence of the lambs not even giving up i think without anthony hopkins we'd remember the buffalo bill scenes we wouldn't remember the speeches from hannibal lecter damn okay let's not like shoot our load on okay. silence of the lambs obviously yeah. we're gonna talk about it soon but there is a lot to unpack there because last time i saw hannibal was maybe 10 years ago i avoided Rewatching it because I did not want to go scene by scene and shot by shot. This is what Silence of the Lambs did right, and this is what Animal did wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm being a little extra kind to it. I think probably because of that. Ooh. And but honestly, yeah, because Silence of the Lambs I think is perfection, and we yes. will get into why next week. And I'm really Ooh. looking forward to I, it. And it's so also excited. I didn't a new reason Diana got me mad. This is by Ridley Scott, who is just way above competent and capable and he's coming off of yeah. gladiator and this is fucking yeah. terrible this is yeah. this is really bad i hate this movie yeah uh, it's just it it yeah i feel like uh we can kind of forget that this happened and i'd be fine with that I, I except do. i do find ray Liotta's brain-eating scene <laughs> just wonderfully over the top yes. actually i think ray Liotta's really good in this Oh, no, yeah, oh. we should say that he uh, tears out parts of Ray Liotta's brain and feeds it, cooks it and feeds it to him at the table. Yeah, well, uh, well he, he is quite wide awake. Yes. I mean, if you're in a, <laughs> say, a way to go, is that the worst way? I think that's that's how that's like an ironic death for someone who thinks they're very smart. And since I'm not that person, I, don't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to eat my own, maybe my own dick or something like that. Maybe my <laughs> wonderful butt. Um, All right, we can arrange that. No one can eat that much. Oh. <laughs> All right. It's All an right. abused boosh at best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pretend I got that. But um, <laughs> still, I'm yeah, sure it was a so solid joke. Watch, watch Hannibal the show. If, if you can. Sorry, uh, honestly, is... I almost I almost ducked out early because there is some really disturbing shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild show. for CBS. Wild NBC, for NBC CBS. yeah. I, and I don't know how much oh, winning I'm it. sorry, I thought it was... It, it 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 seemed to simultaneously air on um, Amazon was interested in, in it in a pre Peacock world anyway. Oh, sorry. No, that it's it's written by David Mamet somehow. That I find, that I find right. baffling. Yeah, da- David Mamet did the first pass, and they liked some of it. And then they brought in Steve Zalian, who brought up before, pretty recently. He wrote fucking Schindler's List, mm-hmm. and he he did a pass in it. And I think they they did about as best they could. I I really blame Ridley Scott for a lot of the problems in this movie. I feel like, I don't know what, I don't know why, I don't know why he took this gig. He could have any gig he wanted after Gladiator. I don't know why he bothered with this one. I think there was that much money on the line. And And also, there's a little bit of prestige there. I mean, I suppose. 
it's Silence of the Lambs. Like it, it is, it is really one of the weirdest deal. mainstream mo- mainstream movies I've ever seen. And and, and, mm-hmm. the, and again, this the theater was packed. Everybody wanted to go see this, yeah. and it was yeah. rewarded it's handsomely. Huge, yeah, almost four hundred million dollars at the box office on a movie starring like three people and some gore. It's 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 pretty pretty yeah. insane for any standard. Oh, Hannibal, I would love to know what people think of this. Because if anybody, I, I am not trying to shit to yuck anybody's yum with this, but like, I, we only had Silence of the Lambs to go off back then. Like, Manhunter was inaccessible until I think three years later it got re released on DVD. So, mm. all we had to go on, like, you're a sequel to one of the best movies of our childhood. Let's see what you got 10 years later. And we, it was, dude, <laughs> people laughing at scenes in the theater. Like, that's it's one of the craziest experiences I've ever had. Normally, uh, reviews would steer me away from seeing a movie first week like this. But uh, mm. yeah, people were people were giggling openly. Anyway, television of 2001. Oh, boy. Uh, here's where it gets good. Kelly Ripa joins the, <laughs> joins Reed as permanent, permanent host of Live. And I still can't. I don't care, but that the show is just called Live, I guess. Well, Technically, yeah. Live with Regis and I, Kelly? Live with well, whoever I we're paying. Kelly Ripa is a fucking source of joy in this world, and I love her. <laughs> and honestly, like, this is a great thing. There was a time in my life where I would TiVo, like, live with Regis and Kelly and watch it, like, when I got home from my classes, because she is a really cool, nice, fun person who's very funny and very cool and a great interviewer. You know what? And live with Regis and Kelly was like a really fantastic morning show. Like I will say, really good stuff. For instance, on a couple laser times that we've done, she has somehow coaxed for a morning audience some of the most revealing quips from people in hit. Yes. Like I I remember when I I love watch her with Andy Richter. She's she's like you can see her baiting him. Uh, Do you have anything bad you want to say? I'm sure you won't say anything. You don't want to lose a job. And she's like challenging him to her, and he's like. Yes, fuck Jay Leno. <laughs> like and she gets it out of him. Yeah. Uh, it, it was awesome. The way that she like presents herself, she's extremely kind and extremely open. And yeah, I really think she is like a great addition. I love her and Rage together because it was the best combination of like old school, and new school. And I, I hmm. how did how did she manage to shoot a sitcom in L.A. and a daily live show in New York? What Hope and Faith, whatever that thing was. Like, how did she do that? Yeah. The hardworking lady is what I'm saying. I guess. She, yeah, huh. she fucking hustles, and her husband was a like soap opera star, Mark wow. Consuelos. But uh, friends, friends, this week, the one where they all turned thirty. I am yeah. starting to feel very old here. I'm just, <laughs> I just wanted to bring it up because this thing will make you feel old as shit Mm -hmm. like i mean 2001 okay we maybe not all of us were turning 30 at this point but when you watch the episode where they all turn 30 they all seem so much older than what how i felt when i turned 30 you know what i'm saying yeah sure i think it's like a very interesting time capsule of like what like this certain generation thought turning 30 meant versus what it actually played out as for a lot of people who are watching the show that makes sense i also wanted to bring up this episode too because it is one of the very few episodes of friends where they talk about someone getting very drunk oh really or being Mm. drunk and 
that's one of the things that always bothered me a lot about friends is that um, they only drink coffee. <laughs> yeah, there it's like a group of like twenty somethings in New York, and none of the stories, none of the crazy stories that these episodes revolve around revolve around them like getting fucking wasted or doing drugs really you know for many many people that's kind of a big part of your 20s getting drunk and having adventures and da 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 and like that's one of the reasons why i like how i met your mother by contrast so much is because like a lot of their adventures revolve around that whereas with friends getting drunk is not like a thing. Episode of Friends I remember the most. I think they go to like a Hootie and the Blowfish concert and they have to have a conversation where like, hey, I, I'm a waitress. I can't fucking afford to go out in New York. And all they, and they have Great to have like episode. three of them have to confront the other three because they can't afford to do shit in New York. So maybe that's it. <laughs> Drinking in New York is not, yeah. che- is not cheap. The last thing we have is SNL, Jennifer Lopez. And did we... Did she host last week in one of the slots? Maybe. I think she might have. We've talked about her a lot, especially in 2001. She has been everywhere. We have. And in this episode, particularly, like, I think in the monologue, there's a reveal where she ends up again in the dress. Oh, yeah. The dress. Well, I don't know, I'm moving on, but the, the very few video games of 2001, except for the ones I was wrong about. Paper Mario comes out in America this week, one of Mario's first RPGs since the Super Nintendo. And Clive Barker's Undying, a PC game I couldn't have played and probably wouldn't have. Clive Barker video games scare me very much, and I'm sort of dying <laughs> to stream them during Halloween some year. Let's head out with uh, I Believe in Happy Endings by Neil Diamond, influenced by Saving Silverman. The f- he wrote it for the movie. No, he didn't. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> Why? Oh my God. Yeah, even though he like says he was blackmailed and cajoled into being in the movie. But I guess like he he gave him a new song. So I'm not I'm not kidding. I didn't know what Neil Diamond looked like until Saving Silverman. I did not. <laughs> but we will close out with that. Learn a little about Neil Time. We'll be right back with something more modern, way more modern. Ten years more modern. Twenty eleven modern. Don't move. I believe in happy endings. You're the reason loves the way, and I'll believe it till my dying day. Do you like Video Game Apocalypse in 302010? Well, the LaserTime Patreon has figured out a way to combine the two over at patreon.com slash lasertime. We've taken a month's worth of 302010's games from 3020 and 10 years ago and grabbed the hosts, Michael Raparez and Matthew Allen from Video Game Apocalypse. And with our combined three decades plus in the games industry, we found a great way to take a deep dive into the biggest gaming anniversaries of the month. Here's a recent sample. Not drunk, but I'm always confused. How many times did I talk about Mega Man 3? And how many times have I said, I think Mega Man 3 is actually the best Mega Man of the age. I agree. Yeah, yeah. hard to agree. Yeah. 2 was my first Mega Man game. It is near flawless. It is wonderful, but the level designs and the boss designs and the music is like, just kick it all up. It's beyond nostalgia for me with Mega Man 3. I love Mega Man 3. 3 also no. had, had Rush and Proto Man. Those were, those it did, were yeah. It had, that's another thing. It had Rush. It, like instead of just one, two, three, you had this anthropomorphic, beautiful pink dog. And not um, to mention the first LGBTQ uh, Mega Man boss, Top Man. <laughs> 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 
So, in addition to weekly bonus shows, over 100 movie commentaries, exclusive specials, you can get the 30 2010 Video Games Edition, celebrating a month of important gaming milestones every single month at patreon.com slash lasertime in exchange for just five bucks. And you'll support all of the Laser Time shows, including Video Game Apocalypse, right guys? Yay! all the ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of february 5th through 11th we have the 60th anniversary it's a little i'm fudging the dates here a little bit because it's actually a holdover from 1960 but celebrating the 60th anniversary of its release in the united states in 1961 is federico fellini's masterpiece la dolce vita it won the palm d'Or at Cannes. it's kind of considered his best movie i feel like most people, it's the first Fellini they watch, and I'm not necessarily sure that's a great call because Fellini is weird. He's a little Fellini-esque. So sometimes you need to, like, I don't know, you kind of need training wheels getting into Fellini. Like, maybe you should start with the Vitelloni or Knights of Cabiria, something that's, like, it, it's, like, a little more clear-cut, like, where the story is going because La Dolce Vita is about a journalist, and it's very, very episodic. And sometimes the episodes aren't entirely in the right order. Um, it gets a little bit confusing and there's kind of a prologue and an epilogue. And I appreciate that Wikipedia actually like breaks it down into segments if you get confused. But it's a million percent worth watching. Uh, I think it's freaking brilliant. It also captures like a feeling in a period of time. Like Marcello Mastroioni is seriously the coolest man on earth at this point and this movie captures it like you're kind of gonna fall in love with him but he's also kind of a dirtbag because he's you know a tabloid journalist and he hangs out with other dickhead tabloid journalists including his buddy paparazzo which is where we get the word paparazzi history uh also has anita ekberg for like an indelible scene you've never seen fellini you could start here you could start earlier but at some point, you have to watch La Dolce Vita. It's a freaking classic. And it's been parodied a jillion times. Tying everything all together, LA Story is parodying it at the beginning, where instead of a Christ statue being flown over the city, it's a hot dog stand. So I didn't even realize that it was going to tie in, but it all ties in. So yeah, double feature then. Watch La Dolce Vita and then LA Story. That's it for this week. Stay classic. Welcome to 2011, and if it's confusing, yes, that is Roxette. She's got nothing on but the radio, a new Roxette song off of Charm School this week. Oh, yeah, it's Ro fun. I liked it. I know. It's just like Roxette is like really like the soundtrack to the early 90s to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it's, I, I definitely had not heard this before, but it is 2011. I may not have heard many of these things, um, such as What If by Mr. Big, their first album in 10 years. Dow with the Dead by Andrew Knows by the Trail of the Dead, a band I do like. Sever the Wicked Hand by Sludge Metal <laughs> Band Crowbar. Uh, Mondo Amore by uh, Nicole Atkins. And Touch of Truth by 
Yanni. Yanni probably kicked the shit out of all this stuff in sales. Yanni, <laughs> paying attention mm-hmm. to the charts as a little kid, Yanni was always up there, like, knocking down Nirvana and Destiny's Child. Yanni mm-hmm. albums rule the world. Uh, Grenade by Bruno Mars is still number one. But 2011 news to bring you into the wonderful world of 2011. Um, Egyptian President ooh, Hosani Mubarak resigns amid Arab Spring protests and hands power over to the military. What? Chris, I know sometimes reading is hard. Yes. But it is it is said how it's felt. Hosni Mubarak. Hosni Mubarak. I didn't say that? He, he was in charge for like 30 years. So you probably heard his name before. I mean, yeah. I remember some turmoil popping up in Egypt. Was it around all this? Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, it's part of the Arab Spring, man. There's protests all over the Middle East. And mm. I feel like this was the biggest domino that got tipped. Well, okay, Libya. Maybe Libya. Yeah, um, but yeah, one. Hosni Mubarak had been president for like damn near 30 years. Uh, and he hands power over to the military. Not really great thing to do, but there's kind of no one else to take it. And then they have like elections and then they protest the elections. They have elections, they protest the elections. It goes back and forth and back and forth. And things aren't entirely settled still uh, 10 years later. Oh, very, very confusing. Um, But if you don't know my story, very involved in politics in the mid-2000s and decided to retreat into pop culture. So... I was in the theater day one for the first movie uh, that came out, the follow-up to Triplets of Belleville, The Illusionist. And I believe I took your husband and Brett and a bunch of other people in the show who were like, why did you take us to go see this? A very slow animated movie about a magician. <laughs> well, you're definitely doing your part, just like the people. I don't were, know. I just thought like, everybody was... The Arab Spring. I so, good very, job. very quickly, not all nerds are excited by the same thing. I thought it was just this one big ecosystem, but I somehow convinced people to go out and see The Illusionist. Oh, it's a good memory for me. Well, was the movie good? Because, mm. I mean, I still haven't seen it. I'm sorry, but Triplets of Belleville is Triplets fun as hell. Of, so. mm, it's not Triplets of Belleville. Triplets of Belleville ah. is absolutely joyous, and I could watch it almost any time. The Illusionist is a little slower and doesn't focus on as many fun things. Um, animated movie I did not see, but look at this cast. Uh, I just put this in here for this cast. Please. I hear what you're saying. You don't think you don't think that uh, <laughs> Patrick Stewart, Hulk Hogan, and Julie Waters were in the same movie. You're wrong. Because uh, <laughs> Nomeo and Juliet exists with the cast Hulk Hogan, Dolly Parton, Ozzy Osbourne, Richard Wilson, Julie Waters, Jim Cummings, uh, Matt Lucas, Stephen Merchant, Ashley Jensen, Patrick Stewart, Jason Statham, Maggie Smith, Mike Cocaine, Emily Blunt, and James McAvoy. Fuck. Wow. What the hell? I and mean, this is this is a fairly straightforward Romeo and Juliet retelling, uh, but it was distributed by Disney before they had like 900 animated movies to bring out every year, and I think more people saw it as a result of their marketing wing. I never did, but it did get a sequel. Also out this week, um, movies. Look, I want to know if any of you saw this. It's fine if you did, but like I was way out of this age group because I think. Th- it, I think it was 3D. The idea that like uh, 3D was a technology that was coming back to theaters. We can bring back the concert film. Yeah. Katy Perry, Metallica tried, but I'm not sure if it got bigger than Justin Bieber's Never Say Never. That is out this week. It is a concert movie, right? And it's like, it's one of those things where like the afterword is more interesting. That The director went on to make Crazy Rich Agents. What? what? Okay. <laughs> and we'll be directing In the Heights whenever that eventually comes up. What? Oh my goodness. Yep. Okay. Jonathan M. Chu. So, good for him. Holy Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And this is also where I say pop star never stop, never stopping. 
It's fucking great. Watch it. It's one of the best films that nobody talks about. I love that movie Thank so you. much. We gave them the shout out in, in Laser Time. The Lonely Island has made so, three of the funniest movies that most people have ignored until Palm Springs hit streaming services for asterisk yeah. free and yeah. watch the rest of their shit it's really good hot rod and with pop star they're like hot rod's fun pop star is fantastic pop star is wonderful it's kind of a perfect like hot shots like sort of movie like it it's just perfect i love it so much i should say you know who produced this who wrote the music for the soundtrack nomi and juliet elton john so there's another oh elton john in a hulk hogan production and then to a bunch of movies uh that i don't I like just want to helicopter mm. Dolly Parton out of this yeah. <laughs> conversation. Like just You're right, Suge. I got enough money. I don't need to be involved in all this. Thank well, you. <laughs> maybe the money that she got from that funded funded vaccines. Curing COVID. <laughs> Helped her hire an assistant to type a letter to turn down the Medal of Freedom from President Trump twice. That we twice. learned twice. <laughs> get, woman. Get... Oh, oh that's so sweet of you, but get fucked, Suge. Um. <laughs> she, her ability to stay apolitical is so amazing. I'm just like, oh, I don't think now is the right time. Oh, my husband's not feeling well, so I'm not going to come take America's high civilian honor. And then they're like, well, you, will you take it for Biden? She's like, oh, well, then that would look political. So maybe not. At least Colbert asked the question I wanted to know because he had just had Barack Obama on and just said, how did you not give it to her, you asshole? <laughs> He's like, I thought she already had it. I'm sorry, I fucked up. Like, That's Why right. didn't she already have seven? Why is this on me? What? It doesn't matter. <laughs> She's an American saint. We'll always remember her as such. Also out this week, The Eagle. This is not this is not the Eagle versus Shark movie I was thinking of, but it does have Channing Tatum, Jamie Bell, Donald Sutherland, and Mark Strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That this is, is a weird one. That is an odd buffet of male actors. <laughs> this was a weird one. Okay, now put them all in togas. Wow. No thanks. In, okay. Yeah. So this is a movie about Roman Britain. The eagle of the title is like the standard for this legion and it gets stolen. And Channing Tatum to like restore his family's honor has to venture into the most wild and savage place in the world. Scotland! <laughs> To try to get it back. And okay, movies about Roman Britain, there aren't a lot, but I do love it because England hasn't been colonized that many times, like maybe four, but this is the only time where the Brits are the savages that cannot be fucking trusted. And the the, the Scots in this are seriously like, not even like, uh, like the Aztecs. They're depicted like the Aztecs or something. Like it's freaking apocalypto. Like they are... You know, they will eat your face off and they barely have a language and they're monstrous, horrible people. Ah, so that was kind of funny. But like everyone's accents are all over the place and it was actually pretty boring. Hmm. Like Channing Tatum, every like he has a pretty generic American-ish accent, but every now and then like a little Southern would come through and it'd be like, oh, honey, what are you doing now? What what are you doing? You're in a toga. What are you doing? I remember the trailer for this and everything was like very gray and very muddy. It is the muddiest movie. <laughs> it looks so fucking muddy. I was like, I don't think I'm into this, honestly. It is so muddy. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just, oh, it was just a little slow and boring. But it's an odd, it's a movie. You don't see a lot of movies taking a place around Hadrian's Wall. So that was all right, all right. something, I guess. I'm not a huge fan of the next movie either, though. No. No, me neither. Actually, the rest of these movies, I feel like... Yeah, 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 they're real bad. Talk about the cool stuff. Oh, uh, after The Eagle, we have Tommy Lee Jones, Chris Cooper, Ben Affleck, and The Company Men. 
You're firing me? Is wrong. I'll take an AK-47 to this place. Don't get mad. You too? I would love to know why you fired me without any notice. You cowardly witch. <laughs> Don't bother reassigning my accounts. I'm gonna steal them back. Get even. In the film, Entertainment Weekly is raving about. We could make something here. Start out with a crazy plan. See if it'll grow. Ben Affleck, Chris Cooper, Kevin Costner, Tommy Lee Jones, the company man. I am shocked to see Tommy Lee Jones outside of a cowboy hat and in an office for the first time since Men in Black. What the fuck is yeah. this? I've never even heard of this. Well, I'm making it sound like it's serious office space, mm-hmm. and it absolutely is not. It's actually kind of a, a downer look at being downsized and corporate greed and getting fucked over and then like towards the end they decide like we're gonna fight back and start our own company i guess what do you mean reddit stole all our accounts (laughs) i mean it focuses really on on the downsizing part of it which just makes me want to watch up in the air again instead of this Uh it's okay and the reviews were all i don't know just People liked it more than I did. It could be at the time because like we're coming out of the Great Recession. And so this is speaking to people at the time more than it spoke to me now. Except not really because mm-hmm. we're in like just as bad a recession, if not mm-hmm. worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people aren't getting fired for the same reason. Not about corporate greed so much as uh, we're all going to die. Well, it's so if it was if, okay and everyone was good in it, but it just I don't, it did not stick with me for some reason. If you had to pick a week to release a bad movie... Why not do it this week with the uh, yeah. wi- the winner of four Golden Raspberries? <laughs> or no, two Golden Raspberries, two Teen Choice Awards, though. Um, <laughs> yet another Adam Sandler movie, and holy lord, your stars include Dave Matthews, Nicole Kidman, and Nick Schwartzman, Brooklyn Decker, and Jennifer Aniston, and Adam Sandler. Just go with it. You're married? No, 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 no. Oh. Danny has a secret. Tell her the truth. I wear a wedding ring to pick up chicks. You're a pig. I am. But before he can start something real... It's over. I need to meet her. He'll need some help. You want me to pretend to be your wife? Oh, jeez. How much are these? 1700 You sickened me. You asked for this. Uh-huh. You Trust asked me. for this. You... Just go with it. I'm just happy this thing-a-ding can still ring-a-ding. Ow! Did you just kick me? No. Did you? Rated PG-13. Goodness. Another Adam Sandler movie, and he's roped in Jennifer Aniston <laughs> to this saccharine madness. And It's the Happy Gilmore like production company? Yes. Yeah. It's the the Happy Madison. It's a Happy Madison, Madison joint. That's why Nick Swartzen is in it and a bunch of Adam Sandler's friends. And I believe a quote he made during this production would come back to haunt him. Where it's like, yeah, yeah, we just go make a movie with me and a bunch of my friends and get a free trip to Hawaii. And like, you hear that criticism levied against Adam Sandler movies, but this is the second time he did that after 51st Date. So I watched half of this, actually, Mm -hmm. because I was in the library and I was picking out my (laughs) holds and I was like, let me look and see. Let me look in the Jennifer Aniston section of my local library and see if they have this movie. I was like, let me look at the DVD section just see if this is in there so I don't have to pay to watch it for research and so I grabbed it and so I watched the first half of it and basically I got to the point where they go to Hawaii and so it's kind of a movie you put on when you're like visiting your relative who is in assisted living who does not know what's going on you're like I don't want to watch anything complicated yeah exactly (laughs) 
But if they're with it just enough, then they're going to start complaining about why isn't Walter Matthau in this? Right. Because this is a remake of Cactus Flower. <gasps> yes. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Yep. In Ingrid Bergman. Cactus Flower. Ingrid Bergman? Ingr yeah. They were romantically a, linked up. What an amazing. <laughs> yeah. Walter Matthau, Ingrid fuck? Bergman, and Goldie Hawn. People who are from entirely different universes. <laughs> like, literally different like this one's from earth 616 yeah. <laughs> this one's from roberto rossellini movies and this one is right now the girl from laughing she won a fucking oscar for it yeah what yeah that's... goldie hawn has an oscar from her film debut that's for right this just... story for this story wow yeah I, you know the extent of I my god <laughs> because the extent of my notes um if you aren't a big follower of laser time i went to go grab all of the clips where Adam Sandler specifically calls out a food and eats it. Ah, oh, Wendy's. Ah, oh, Snack Pack. Ah, oh, Cocoa Pebbles. Ah, oh, McDonald's. This is the Pizza Hut movie to me. You guys eat that Pizza Hut over there. It, the, the crassest product placement in any mainstream film. So for me, in one sitting, this all bled together into the Pizza Hut movie. There's a lot of Pizza Hut in this fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> For watching this movie, exactly half of this movie, I my feelings that came from it was that this is not the worst thing that's ever happened. Mm -hmm. It's not great, mm -hmm. but I don't I don't think that necessarily deserves to be reviled. No, no, th th like I remember like being bored because they weren't up to typical Adam Sandler shenanigans and nut shots and poop explosions. There's yeah, none of that so here. So Adam Sandler, though, runs the gamut. And, like, for me, he is extremely hit or miss. And so, like, the hits are like, oh, my God, I truly can't the, stop thinking about The hits about were when you were a child. <laughs> oh, the Uncut Gems <laughs> is fantastic. His, his Netflix special is fantastic. I exactly. even like the Happy Madison movies he's made on Netflix. Hubie Halloween and uh, what's the one with Lauren Lapkus, uh, The Wrong Missy. That is not yeah, bad. Yeah. It is a good comedy. He's just the most hit or miss person that exists in Hollywood for me. I, I think well, and so. That's why I want to give him a fair shot with this. And with this, I'm like, oh, okay, this is a D plus. That's yeah, fine. I think because the criticism is is that he's lazy, and this is a very lazy movie. Mm -hmm, it is not yeah. worth your time, but I would say Adam Sandler was still at the height of his powers because Jennifer Aniston can't get people into a fucking movie theater. We proved that. Mm -hmm. This is number one at the box office this week, and it is Dennis Dugan hitting two corners of 30 2010 this week with Saving Silverman and Just Go With It because uh, wow. he directs the bulk of Adam Sandler stuff just by coincidence. I'm not sure he would remember what movie this is, but I'm sorry. I didn't want me to shit on Adam Sandler movies. I'm having, I'm in the middle of an Adam Sandler renaissance. I've watched Uncut Gems like three times. Diane, yeah, if you please. haven't seen it yet, I'm ashamed of you. Well, you should be ashamed. I I, 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 I talked to your husband you about this. Like She has not seen Uncut, this. Uncut Gems is amazing and i think about it a lot it is really lot. one of the most semitic movies we've had in a long time <laughs> die. Oh. die oh is that oh, what we're going with die, die. representation i'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good representation but it's <laughs> but there's some family stuff in there i think you could weigh in on that would be fun you'll love uncut gems it is fantastic sure. I can't believe right. you haven't watched it, honestly. I'm, I'm going to text you to shit you again, just like I did while watching American Pickle. <laughs> yes. Just to I, piss you off. Please include me on that, because uh, 
I want to know your thoughts. I would welcome okay. it. I would welcome it. But that is the that is the end of uh, movies for 2011. And TV is just as interesting because a lot more highlights. Sarah had to bring this to my attention. SNL this week is hosted by IMO, the greatest SNL cast member of all time. I, hmm. I struggle to figure out the second, but I always want to say Kate McKinnon just because the show's still on and she still rules. But Dana Carvey is the number one MVP of SNL, period. The guy, everything Keenan does great reminds me of Dana Carvey. And he's back to host. He's doing his old characters. Musical guest Linkin Park. Um, it is the last television appearance, I think, technically, of Chester Bennington hmm. before his untimely suicide. But that was like... Seven years later. <laughs> Again, oh. shout out to Lincoln Park. I work out exclusively in virtual reality to Beat Saber, and they had a Lincoln Park pack, so I am breaking the habit all day, working out all every single day to some Chester Bennington music I made fun of for a very long time. But uh, it opens with a Wayne's World sketch. None of this is really online, by the way. Um, just mm-hmm. the monologue. And the monologue has a special appearance because Dana Carvey, it's sort of sad he's singing a song about how his cast was the best, 86 to 93. Nora Dunn, <laughs> Phil Hartman, Amen. Jan Hooks, Kevin Nealon, Mike Myers, Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, Chris Farley. But like, they're all deep SNL references and the audience doesn't seem to understand it. I just wish I could like throw over my table, get in a time machine and be in the audience just so I could clap my baby seal hands together. Like I understand these references. And, uh, and then Andy Samberg shows up, gets the biggest over Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig gets the biggest applause. Have applause lights back then. We had calm down lights, and they flashed throughout the show because we were going crazy. You know what I mean? Wait like, a second, Dana. Oh. Yeah. And how do we know you're telling the truth about your cast being the best ever? Maybe you're just making it up. Step aside, dear boy. <laughs> might be the biggest standing O John Lovitz ever gets and it makes me very happy because <laughs> he is a wonderful man and I, I especially love from from SNL periods if you're a big SNL nerd Adam Sandler movies contain almost everyone from his group who was alive yeah. like all those people are in his movies and if you listen to podcasts everyone from this group they're all still friends they're like very close this is what their 20s yeah. was like and here, every time Dana Carvey's on a podcast talk telling John Lovett stories, it makes me it makes me melt. And John Lovett's coming out and getting a huge amount of applause. Sorry, I we're at the end of the show. I got to keep going. Is it the superb owl? It is. Mm. Yes. Go Pat. I would prefer the Steelers win. Die. I'm. I'm. I'm well. Mm. There's nothing you can do about it now because the Packers won. Should have been there. Should have been there. Uh, uh, but halftime show, Black Eyed Peas and Usher. How I Met Your Mother. Episode Oh Honey is also out. Um, oh Honey is a thing that I still think about that one kind of stuck in my craw because it's one of the characters dating someone who has a cousin played by Katy Perry who is so dumb that she keeps coming up with stories and stuff and the, they only have one oh, reaction hun- to her. Ted, this is my cousin. Kids, to be honest, I don't quite remember this girl's name. None of us do. Because as this story has been told and retold, we've always just referred to her as... Honey. Hi, honey. I'm Ted. And here's why. My apartment building is so safe. My landlord, he even installed a security camera in my shower. Oh, honey. (laughs) Maybe I should feel weird about giving a stranger my social security number. But the guy's a Nigerian prince. Oh, honey. I just had a great TV audition. Behind the KFC, where the executive producer works on the weekends. 
Oh, honey. <laughs> I think about this all the time, like in my head, like whenever someone says something to me. That's yeah, like, you have to talk to my girl. I think she's on the verge of sending me into the world of how I met your mother. Something I yeah. proudly oh. avoided for like 10 years and now like. Was I wrong? I like everybody on this yes. show. God damn it. Yeah, you're wrong. Uh, you're yeah. wrong. How I Met Your Mother is actually pretty great. And Oh Honey is something that I think about a lot. Like, oh, honey. Oh, um, honey. And speaking and of... It's kind of pertains to Katy Perry because... That's probably... That is one of the best casting. This Like a hugely famous person no one will feel bad about being made fun of. Yeah. Katie, well, it's a great... Like just a couple of years prior with uh, Britney Spears. Mm. Which... Now doesn't age well knowing what we know about what's going on with Britney Spears. But it wasn't going on then. Um, I don't know why I was such mm-hmm. a fan of her husband back or her father back then. Never mind. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to make a bad Britney joke in the modern age. Not good. Speaking of not good, any Matthew Perry project? <laughs> I know, right? It's too yeah. bad because Matthew Perry's. Not bad. Great. He's a talented guy, and uh, they brought in a ringer to help him, Allison yeah. Janney on Mr. Sunshine. He's had, he's had plenty of opportunities to, but like, again, that's how much money friends made. Like, let's just try one more time. If one four hundredth of the people mistake this show for friends, we'll all be billionaires. And so <laughs> Mr. Sunshine debuts this week. Is he a therapist? A surly man? This has to be ironic. Oh, Sarah. He is a surly man. Mm. He is a surly man. He runs like an arena. So there's a bunch of sports-based stuff. It made nine whole episodes. Fuck. Too bad. I never thought about this. Like, um, another thing I was reluctant to like was Friday Night Lights. So when it came to Netflix, I'm like, ooh, this is really good. (laughs) And I never got through it. But I'm, I'm all of a sudden, like, having, like, I feel really bad for Friday Night Light fans to leave for DirecTV. They didn't leave for Netflix a $10 a month subscription, like, there isn't a direct TV fee that's like less than fifty or sixty dollars. How yeah, are you supposed you have to, to follow go this? Get that fucking dish, and someone's gonna come oh to your God. house and install it. Yeah, I had it for. Yeah, I, you I gotta had give it. them credit for picking up Friday Night Lights. It's so unlike them, and yeah. given a couple more seasons. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. know how. There are so many direct TV shows that are like completely lost to me, but this is their big mm-hmm. pickup. We're going to finish. Is it one or two seasons of Friday? It's. I think two. It's yeah, it's five seasons of Friday Night Lights, all of which is considered pretty important. And for their finale to air on this thing where you have to buy a three hundred dollar thing, stick it in your yard, and then I moved into this house and the last neighbor had a direct TV thing and I just left it there and I finally found out all my neighbors confronted me, like, when can we move this ugly thing? Like, I don't care. You wanna kick it over right now? And we all kicked over a direct TV dish. Um, just, so it was great because, like, yeah, I, I didn't. I don't care. It, it guides my car out of the driveway. Like that's the only reason I didn't take it down. I don't, I don't have to use my mirrors. <laughs> but Friday Night Lights concludes, and I've always meant to follow that show all the way through because what's his name, Kyle something forever, Chandler. 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 And last but definitely not leastly, Parks and Rec. Holy shit. Ron and Tammy part two. And I did not pull any clips from it because uh, NBC is like very close. They hold uh, have you heard of Peacock? Back. Come to Peacock. Yeah. Uh, that's the no only good. way you'll see shit but from them anymore. If you don't care for Parks and Rec or whatever, at least I implore you to look into the Ron and Tammy episodes because, oh my God, they're so perfect considering Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally are actually like bonded together in life to watch them act it out on screen. I, I've read articles where like uh, Nick Offerman has been like, 
yeah, we made we have made people uncomfortable with our on screen chemistry. I've seen them in so many things together, but this is the first time I didn't. I don't think I knew they were married in real life, and she is like I think a decade or so his senior. So really, so the premise seems funny that just because. Ron Swanson is the manliest man in the world, and this older lady comes in and rocks his world, and like he can't think anymore. And all the Tammy episodes are pretty much like a—it's like Ron relapsing on a drug. Um, yep, <laughs> and for exactly. her too. I think this one he has like a pre-made video to warn himself. Is that right? <laughs> of like, do not listen to her lies. Stay away from her. She's bad for you. And he's like, and I don't he- care. <laughs> This is the one where they end up in jail with him in cornrows. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that she is a librarian makes it even better because it's like she is a slutty book jockey, which basically is my like career goal. <laughs> well, All I want you're a library away, baby. You almost got it. Book yeah. Well, yeah, that's just one of those things I love about Parks and Rec. That's just such an odd little tweak because you know, Leslie Nope just loves, you know, the pu- helping the public no matter what. And you think mm-hmm. the public libraries are would be so great. She fucking hates libraries. She hates yeah. them so much because librarians are all skanks. Yeah. They're all yeah. mean skanks. I love it so much. <laughs> like, I want to be evil librarian. That's like my dream job. That is it for television. Last but not least, again, we'll talk more about the video games on patreon.com slash laser time. It's how we're we support ourselves, how we keep up our hosting and our web hosting and our equipment up to date. We do appreciate our patrons very, very much. But we'll talk more in depth of the Video Game Apocalypse, guys. Again, every Friday, new episode of Video Game Apocalypse. Great show that I'm a part of with uh, Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Oparez, and Matt Allen, and usually a special guest. This week, uh, Mario Sports Mix comes out, a game we were very angry about, given we wanted a real Mario game, not a, another mini game adventure. But if you wanted to play, Basketball with Mario and not in the A game. Here you go. Charmingly, you guys ever seen Stacking? A game, uh, a double fine game based around Russian dolls. What do you call them? Um, you can sort of imagine there's interesting puzzle things you can get into as you get smaller and stack. Stacking. Stacking is a very adorable game. I hope it's still available. And uh, you don't know, Jack comes out on a bunch of stuff. I think that's a, a recent re-release. And NBA Jam 2, iOS and whatnot. Ease is out. And I'm only mentioning that because if you listen to Video Game Apocalypse, another Ease is out 10 years to the week um, of Ease 1 and 2 being re-released on PSP. Stay right there because we have to tell you who died and who lived, who was born during this episode of the show. Diana, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at listenernerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast through 02010podcast. Next week, we went real long this week. I was not expecting Next week, I'm expecting us to go really long because, as we've already talked about, Silence of the Lambs, a movie that is in one my top ten movies of all time. I, I, that is hard for me to say, but it honestly is true. Uh, I think it is. And one of the as well as two of the worst movies I've ever loved. And that's same week. The same week we have, yeah, the same week from 1991, we have my God, uh, a a Dan Aykroyd directorial effort. (laughs) Debut and, and uh, uh, finale. <laughs> and the rightful coronation of John Goodman. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, in 2000, we have one of the great cult comedies of all time. Ooh, and I think you, I think you know who I'm talking about, Meow. Yeah. Yeah, Littering and. Littering and. Littering, littering and. and. Uh, yeah, I just watched their two. Littering and. and. <laughs> 
<laughs> you are freaking it's out. It's Afghanistan animation. Oh, <laughs> uh, so much fun. Who was who was, who was who was who died during this period of thirty twenty ten? We lost a lot of people in these uh, couple weeks here. In 1991, we lost Danny Thomas, who was 79. Uh, he was a comedian, actor, founder of, yeah, founder of St. Jude's Children's Hospital. You've seen the ads. They do good, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Doesn't he also have some weird sex thing? Well, if you listen to Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, <laughs> then yes. Didn't he shit on a coffee table and make all the children watch from underneath the coffee table? <laughs> no, Gilbert. Yes. But he should like that. <laughs> right. Yes. I think he was under the coffee table. He might have been dressed as a priest. Who what? knows? You can't you can't libel the dead, so you make up your own version. Yeah. And and by the way, everyone back then probably did something once. It doesn't mean it was their thing. This is true. And- then in 2001, we lost Louis Arquette, who's only 65. That is the dad of the many, 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 many Arquette families. Can I just say, uh, on Hulu this week, I checked out You Cannot Kill David Arquette, which is a documentary about David Arquette and his wrestling career, including Courtney Cox, his ex-wife, and all of his uh, living siblings um, wow. talking about him. It was fucking awesome. Kind of fake, but hilarious uh it was one of the, my most fun watches this week wow so and, like all of because there's a lot of our cats so what patricia rosanna alexis we, we lost alexis so she's she's, right, we lost she's not there um but yeah the, his brother patricia oscar winner patricia arquette and i have not seen uh rosanna in forever and she looks goddamn great and they're all here talking yeah. about like what the fuck is wrong with our brother <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's about his, his uh, modern day wrestling career where he almost dies by slitting his throat. It's, uh, oh my God. yeah. In the ring. Oh my God. Okay. Well, <laughs> moving on. We also lost Dale Evans in 2001. She was 88. The wife of Roy Rogers of all the singing cowboy movies. Uh, Anne Morrow Lindbergh, who was 94. She was a journalist and Mrs. Charles Lindbergh, the mother of the kidnapped baby. She mm-hmm. was also a Nazi sympathizer, so she can go fuck herself, but. You know, you take the good with the bad. When do we reveal Sarah's the Lindbergh baby? Not until like the last <gasps> season? Uh. <laughs> I thought we were going to tweet on that until we talked about it. All right, all right. You tweet some teases and we'll get out there. We'll get it out there. Rude. You, look, you look great for like a hundred and four. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's really like turmeric. I just like oh. a little bit of turmeric with Walt Disney, Ted Williams, Stasis. And then we're not even done now. In 2011, sadly, we lost Mike Starr, the bassist from Alice in Chains. She's 44. He had a very public battle with heroin, and heroin won in the end. Mm-hmm. And John Paul Getty III, the kidnapping victim and dad of Balthazar Getty. He was 54. Oh, he shit. He saw all the money in the world. That was him. Not not the guy uh, Citizen Kane was running against. So, okay. Never mind. No. <laughs> I'll get you Gettys! Um, but without that out of the way, um, it's, it's time for the birthday quiz. It's a bunch quiz. of rich white people to me. I have no idea yeah. who any of these people are. Uh, birthdays! Birthdays! Oh, birthday is a doodly-doo. A ding-dong goodly-doodly-ding-dong-doo. Someone who has come up a couple times this episode? Oh, Okay. Dennis Dugan. <laughs> Turning 60, born February 5th, 1961 in Highland Park, Michigan. His parents were a nursing assistant and a janitor. Humble beginnings. Uh, he studied broadcasting, joined Second City along with Chris Farley. John Lovitz. Nope. No. Nope. TV shows we've talked about, because we've talked about him in movies and TV, but I'm going with TV first to make this longer and more painful. Uh, <laughs> Chris Rock Show, Strangers with Candy, All of the Other Reindeer, and The Michael Richards Show. John Goodman. Nope. 
Um, I really thought I nailed it there. I know he's in that movie. All of the other reindeer. How about TV Funhouse? Everybody hates Chris, according to Jim and the Bill Ingvall show. Jesus, what? Uh, some of these are recurring, and some of these are just one one off guest spots. Yeah, that's what it sounds. But Chris Rock show was a giveaway for that. It's not Wanda Sykes. How about New Adventures of Old Christine and Lil Bush? Frank Caliendo? No. Not that guy that I love so much. Sam McMurray. No. That's a good guess. He's an L.A. story. The one, who plays, the one who plays the love interest in The New Adventures of Old Christine. Clark Gregg? Yes. So I win. Clark Gregg. I won, right? Clark Gregg. No, no, no. I said it. Nope. It's wrong. <laughs> I, Sarah, I told you it is wrong. Please continue, <laughs> Diana. It's so All rude right. of her. We're fighting over who is wrongest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move to movies now. Uh, this should be a little bit easier. The Benchwarmers, Semi-Pro, and Grown Ups. Oh, God. Uh, oh, uh, Nick Schwartzen. Nope, he's not 60. Uh, this guy doesn't look 60, by the way. David oh. Spade? Adam Sandler? Nope. Adam Sandler. Nope. Tim Meadows. Tim Meadows! Boom! Yay! Tim Meadows. I was glad we didn't have to get to the ladies' man or walk hard the Dewey Cox story and ten seasons on SNL, which was a record for a while. It was, uh, but he is so great in walk hard. You don't want it's not addictive, Dewey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you never paid for drugs, not once. That movie is uh, so great. I love Tim Meadows so much. Uh, He's. Like the ultimate utility player. Like, mm. he can be the straight man, and he's amazing at it. He can be the wacky guy. He's amazing at it. Yeah. He's just, he he improves everything he is near. Yeah, he really does. He's got it's, a Phil Hartman quality to him. Doesn't break. frustrating. He doesn't mm. do better stuff yeah. sometimes. He just does everything. Um, yep. Happy birthday, Tim Meadows. You're cool. Happy birthday. And let's take the show out again. Patreon.com slash LaserTime. Somebody tell Sling that we, we should be sponsored by them, and we'll say how many things appear streaming um, while we do the show. They'll even call it Slings 302010. I'm not kidding. Times are tight. COVID <laughs> is hard. But we'll close out with Innuendo by Queen. Uh, some of the last music Freddie Mercury made. with. Uh... And as sick as he was, his voice is still there, man. Yeah.